Chair, staff is ready when you are. Thank you, Clerk. Uh, let's see. Good evening and welcome to the February 8th, 2024, 5.30 p.m. Planning and Design Commission meeting. The meeting is now called to order. Will the clerk please call the roll to establish a quorum? Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, if you can please unmute. Commissioner Zhang? Here. Commissioner Chase? Here. Commissioner Lamas? Here. Commissioner Buckley? Here. Commissioner Caden? Here. Commissioner Hernandez? Here. Commissioner Macias Reed? It's absent. Uh, Vice Chair Young? Here. Commissioner Blunt? Here. Commissioner Andrade? Here. Commissioner Thompson? Here. And Chair Wallace? Here. Thank you. We have quorum. Thank you. Uh, good evening. I would like to remind members of the public and chambers that if you would like to speak on an agenda item, please turn in a speaker slip when the item begins. You'll have two minutes, three minutes to speak once you are called on. After the first speaker, we will no longer accept speaker slips on that item. And we will now proceed with today's agenda. Please rise for the opening acknowledgments in honor of Sacramento's indigenous peoples and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nisenan people, the Southern Maidu, Valley and Plains, Miwok, Potwin, Winton peoples, and the people of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe. May we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Please remain standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Next we have the director's report. Stacia. Thank you, Chair. Two items for the commission and the public this evening. First, uh, the Commission's 2024 Planning and Zoning Work Program was approved on the consent calendar by City Council this Tuesday. And our 2023 annual report will be going to PMPE this coming Tuesday if you'd like to tune in and watch. So, thank you. That's all I have, Chair. Okay, moving on to the public hearing, or to consent, sorry. Uh, item number one, our first business today is the approval of the consent calendar. Clerk, are there any members who wish to speak on the consent calendar? Thank you, Chair. We have no speaker slips. All right. Thank you. Are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? All right. Seeing none, I'm looking for a motion and a second for the consent calendar. I'd like to motion. Okay, thank you. And then Commissioner Zhang. I'll second the motion. All right. Clerk, will you please call the roll? Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, if you can please unmute. Commissioner Zhang? Aye. Commissioner Chase? Aye. Commissioner Lamas? Aye. Commissioner Buckley? Aye. Commissioner Caden? Aye. Commissioner Hernandez? Aye. Commissioner Macias Reed is absent. Uh, Commissioner, er, sorry, Vice Chair Young? Aye. Commissioner Blunt? Aye. Commissioner Andrade? Aye. Commissioner Thompson? Aye. And Chair Wallace? Aye. Thank you. Motion passes. All right. Thank you. Uh, we will now proceed to the discussion calendar. Public hearing item number two uh, is the fuel stop gas station item P22-021. Are there any uh, recusals or disclosures from the commission on this item? All right, seeing none, uh, we'll proceed with presentation from Jose Cantiliana. 
Good evening, everyone. Um, commissioners, Chair Wallace, Vice Chair Young. My name is Jose Quintanilla, Associate Planner with the Community Development Department. Uh, this item is P22021, Fuel Stop Gas Station. This project is a request for entitlements to establish a gas station at and convenience store at 3200 Rio Linda Boulevard in North Sacramento. The subject site is currently a non-operational gas station and convenience store. Let's see, on screen you can see the subject site from both Rio Linda and Arcade Boulevards. The top is Rio Linda and the bottom is Arcade Boulevard. The applicant is seeking approval of a conditional use permit to establish a gas station and site plan and design review for the proposed improvements, which include updating the convenience store's facade and windows, uh, adding landscaping, constructing a wall between the residential use and the convenience store property, and other site enhancements to meet current development standards. The proposed site plan is shown on screen. And highlighted are the convenience stores and the gas pumps and the location of the proposed CMU wall. The site is operated as a gasoline service station since 1957. In 1999, uh, gasoline hydrocarbons from the underground storage tanks were discovered in the soil and groundwater. The site was remediated over the course of 17 years, and the State Water Resources Control Board closed this case in uh, March 2019. In February 2020, a fire uh, damaged the convenience store building and subsequently all operations, including um, the dispensing of fuel, ceased. In February 2021, the deemed conditional use permit that allowed this gas station to legally operate expired for disuse. Pursuant to city code, a deemed CUP automatically expires after operations have ceased for a consecutive period of more than a year. In late March 2022, building permit plans for site repairs were submitted and at that time, city planning staff informed the applicant that a new CUP would be required. Shortly thereafter, planning staff informed the property owner and operator that we would not support the reestablishment of this gas station given its proximity to residential. Staff's position was reiterated to the property owner again in July 2022, September 2022, and January 2024 prior to scheduling this hearing. Despite staff objections, the application process continued and staff worked with the applicant team between project submittal and late, 20, and late 2023 to develop a complete and code compliant application to present to the commission. Notification of the project and the hearing were provided to all neighborhood associations, residents, and property owners within 500 feet of the site. Staff received six letters of support, including from the North Sacramento Chamber of Commerce, the Hagenwood Community Association, the Vida de Oro Foundation, the Harmon Johnson Neighborhood Association and the Benito Juarez Neighborhood Association. Staff also received a letter of opposition to the project from an immediate neighbor that reside, resides at and owns several properties across from the subject site. The letters of support all include a common theme, which is that this area is underserved by retail services and opportunities, and that approval of this conditional use permit would bring much needed services to this area. While staff definitely agrees that the area is underserved and needs more neighborhood services, a polluting land use such as a gas station is not the appropriate solution. Staff feels that this parcel could accommodate a variety of other retail uses, such as uh, convenience stores and restaurants, which are allowed by right in the C2 zone. Staff is recommending denial of this project request to establish a gas station due to its proximity to residential uses, specifically being within 30 feet of a front yard. Inconsistency with the general plan, namely goals and policies, 
protecting established, established neighborhoods and particularly disadvantaged communities from unequitable siting of harmful uses. Policy guidance from the California Air Resources Board recommending jurisdictions site gas stations away from residential. Additionally, this census tract, um, this census tract has a low score in the Healthy Places Index. The HPI looks at uh, economic, education, social, uh, transportation, neighborhood, housing, clean environment, healthcare access to ranks, to rank all census tracts in the state. Uh, on screen, there are pol the, the policy action areas I just mentioned, and the score for this, uh, this uh, census tract is denoted by the vertical black line. So this census tract has a score of 10.8, which means that 89.2% of census tracts in the state have much better conditions in, of all those, um, of all those uh, factors that were on the screen. And lastly, this census tract is identified as an SB 535 disadvantaged community. If the Planning and Design Commission agrees with staff's recommendation to deny the project, the applicant can appeal this decision to the City Council. If Commission chooses to deny staff's recommendation and approve the CUP, the Commission will need to provide staff with findings of approval for the two findings that staff could not make that are located within the staff report. The item would then be re-noticed and brought back to this Commission at a future date. That concludes my presentation. Staff and the applicant are here should you have any questions. Thank you. Jose. Sorry I added extra syllables to your last name. <laughs> Um, I'd like to uh, see if commissioners have any questions, and then we'll see if there's any public comment. Are there any questions from the commission on this one for staff or the applicant? <laughs> Vice Chair Young? Yeah, just a quick question. The, the applicant for the CUP is, is in attendance, and will they be saying anything and speaking? Oh, okay. Thanks. Oh, would you Did you want to present? Um, just have a shoulder. Go ahead. Yeah. Please, please come up. Hello, everyone. My name is Sarita. I'm the owner of Fuelstock Minimart, which has been in business for more than 65 years. And I've been in this community district for over 25 years. Reopening the gas station is very important for me and for the residents who have been eagerly waiting for the gas station to open for the past four years. The neighborhood is uh, in limited of transportations which will benefit from the gas station along with the Minimart. I have met with several neighbors, neighborhood associations and fellow community members. They all want the community to develop and thrive. The majority supports the revitalizing and reopening of the gas station. It will be a huge convenience to this underserved community. With the gas station, the resident and the passing by motorist won't have to drive out of their, out of their way to get gas, especially when some are with a tight budget and need to get gas for basic needs, such as dropping kids to school or going to work. I have support letters from all four neighborhood associations and few, other, few others and have made contact with residents. I also have more than 100 signatures from immediate neighbors supporting the reopening of the gas station and revitalizing the community. My vision is not only to have the gas station, but in the near future to have an EV charger installed so that the community has the same advantage as of other communities. I humbly request the commission to grant me the conditional use permit for gas station. 
Thank you. Thank you. Um, may I ask a follow-up question? Um, so, uh, Sarita, is that, am I yes. pronouncing your yes. name correctly? Thank you. Um, so, I understand that per the staff report, the, um, there was like a, a two-year span when you finally, um, you know, submitted an application for, for the CUP again. Could you explain for us, you know, were you aware that there was like a one-year um, timeline for for coming back to, to get that CUP established? No, I was not aware. And just to go backtrack, the fire started. It was fire, started with a with a homeless individual that was squatting in the back. It started right when the COVID hit. So the contractor that was prior take, doing the work, they had they, there was a payment issued for rebuilding the gas station, which expired in December of 2021. And um, unfortunately, that that construction company it was a big company. It went out of business, and I had to start re all over again. I tried to get the permit extended and I was told that it cannot be extended because I was, it was more than 30 days. I contacted the city staff after I was notified that it has been over a year. I, I was not aware that I'd run into this situation. I started the process as soon as the fire happened to start rebuilding the place, but was not successful. The contractor went out of business. I had to hire somebody totally new, redesign the plans. By then, you know, my conditional use of payment was expired. So to clarify, you had relied upon a general contractor to, to implement repairs to the gas station because of the fire, and you're relying upon them to get whatever permits were needed in order to reestablish the gas station. But they had gone out of business within that time frame and the Europe. permit was issued the permit was issued by city of sacramento i'm assuming around october of 2020 but because i always got the got the reason that because of covid everything is being delayed you know and uh, when i started following up by then it was too late i see um i might have some other follow-up questions but i'll i'll yield my questions for now thank you Thank you. Commissioner Lamas? Commissioner Chase. Chase. How come nobody else shares a mic? <laughs> Jose, can I ask you a question? Um, do you have a map or any kind of an exhibit that would show other fuel uh, filling facilities in the I area? do not, but there is a fuel, there is a gas station south on Rio Linda and I want to say El Camino. It's about a half mile that, or a quarter mile to the south. south. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Are you trying to speak, Commissioner Thompson? <laughs> I think so. Okay. Um, Hang on. We have to. Oh, we have to let you. Question speak. for the planning group. So with the recommendation stating that a gas station would not be appropriate in this area, any project moving forward would have to demo what's there? Um, they would have to demo the gas station, um, you know, the fuel, the canopy, the pumps. Um, if, they, if the proposed uh, project is a convenience store, any kind of retail store, there's an existing, there's an existing building that could be, you know, gutted and, you know, re, 
re-outfitted for a new uh, retail. Okay, and then um, a follow-up with that. So outside of the gas component, adding the other uses that you're saying are more, um, per your chart, helpful for the area, food and retail, et cetera. Is that in addition or outside of what they're proposing for the convenience component of the gas station? Uh, because the because the permit is for a conditional use permit, uh, conditional use permit for a gas station. That's what we're evaluating. The convenience store is a component of it. So, so it's the gas. So it's the gas station prime that we're primarily evaluating. Thank you. Commissioner Thompson. Uh, now, Commissioner Lamas. <laughs> you, Chair. Um, I had a question in terms of the proximity to the. Arcade Creek, is there any, like how did that, uh, was that a factor that came into the city's consideration for denial, considering that it was, it's right across from the Arcade Creek? Um, I, I know um, the report indicates that there was a leak um, some time ago, which was remediated. Um, can you also speak to w maybe what, um, what was incorporated as part of that remediation and have all those risks for future leaks been resolved or is there still some some risk there especially with the proximity to the water right I, I can't speak to future leaks because I mean there's there are new tanks on site um, so that'll be for the air district and the you know the county to, to monitor um, in terms of remediation there uh, when the after the leak was discovered uh, and then in the subsequent years there were few tons of soil that were removed I'm not exactly sure on the amount, but it was a lot of soil that was removed um, after that was completed. Uh, I want to say seven or eight monitoring wells were, were installed uh, on the site, um, in the right-of-way, and I believe on one of the adjacent properties. And then the county monitored uh, those levels uh, periodically, uh, which were reported by the, um, the environmental consultant that was... Uh, that was the, the lead on that on that cleanup. So they provided that information to the county, um, uh, the Water Resources Board, sorry, and they would, um, and that's how it was kept track. Um, in 2019, they sent a final letter, you know, uh, indicating, oh, these are what the levels are now. Um, can we close the site? And then the the um, the county, you know, they notice everyone in the area that they're uh, thinking of closing the site. They take comments, and then they evaluate the the reporting that that uh, that I mentioned earlier. And the, in terms of the creek, um, it's sloped. Um, the, the environmental documents uh, didn't indicate that there was any, any pollution to the creek. Um, uh, in terms of that land, it's currently an easement, uh, and SAFCA has indicated that they do want to, that they will purchase that, uh, that uh, portion of the property. But the, the creek itself was not a factor in us denying the, uh, this uh, recommending denial. For that context, yield my time. Commissioner Andrade. So hypothetically, would this permit or would this even be an issue if this had been done within those first 12 months? It would not have been an issue because the CUP would have been active. And okay. because it is active, they, you know, they have the legal right to construct. Um, as she mentioned, they, they did pull permits in October 2021. There was no action and then that permit expired as well. Um, and yeah, the, the next time that we received a permit application was um, in uh, early 2022. And that's, again, when we informed them that they needed to uh, have a, a CUP reissued. Thank you. 
Senator Buckley. Thank you, Chair. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get the timeline right. So the gas station is in continuous operation for a number of years. Mm -hmm. There are remediations made on the site. The gas station continues to um, operate. And I thank you for the timeline. Um, cool. And so, and then in 2020, there's a fire that ceases operations. Correct, in February 2020. And um, the failure to request uh, because it ceased operations, the failure to request a conditional use permit to continue or to start up again mm -hmm. um, is what the problem is here. And without that hiccup, if they would have applied within that year frame, they would have been within their rights to continue operation of the gas station? Correct, because they would have had the approved CUP. Um, if, if there would have been any review, it might have been a site plan and design review at either at a staff level, um, you know, with our design review group. And then it would have gone on to building permits because they, you know, they did have the, the permit. It was active, um, and anything you do within that time, it, you know, si um, you know, they have that approval for that use. So any improvements to, you know, further this that use are are allowed. Okay. Thank you. And then, you know, it strikes me that this hiccup or this delay happened at the start of COVID. Um, does the has, did the planning department make any sort of like accommodations for folks and delays like this at like COVID like this? So how did I'm just kind of thinking does COVID play into this? How this played out? I know it was very challenging for folks to do administrative things during the beginning of COVID or throughout COVID. Um, does that play into here into this situation in your view? Um, it did not. Uh, the only provisions that we as a planning staff made for in terms of COVID was adding a year to uh, approved entitlements. So not anything active, no, you know, no active CUPs or, in this case, it was a deemed CUP. Um, so, you know, the, the use was established prior to the city requiring a CUP for gas stations. So it was a deemed CUP um, because, you know, they, they were, because they were inactive for a year, they, I mean, it expired. I mean, they would have had to do, have had some sort of activity on the site or, as you mentioned, uh, submit for repairs in order to have kept it going. Thank you. You're welcome. That's all, Chair. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Chase. Um, yeah, question, Jose. I, I know Ar Arcade Creek has been known to flood, but maybe in other parts of the city. Do you know if there have been any flooding issues in this particular location? I'm not aware of any. Okay. Yeah, um, my follow-up question is, is for Sarita. Um, so, so how long have you been the property owner on this, for this site? I've been managing the property since um, 2019. We've owned the property since um, 2005, 2004. 2005, okay. Uh -huh. So um, could you maybe speak to kind of the length of time? I, I see that on the timeline there was an environmental cleanup of the site that went on from 2001 to 2018. Um, I'm assuming from 2005 on to 18, you, you were kind of overseeing, or just making sure that that was done. Can you maybe speak to why that took such a long time to clean up? And um, The cleanup, from what my understanding is, the cleanup is a process where they have to continue to monitor it. The cleanup was done, but they had to continue to monitor it to make sure that it wasn't after the, the new tanks were in there, double wall tanks, underground storage tanks for the fuel. They had to continue to monitor to make sure that they, it, 
it wasn't going to happen again or there's nothing leaking or there's no other contamination. It, it, uh, after the cleanup, after the soil report was cleared, from my understanding, they had to wait another three to five years before they could say it is all clear. Okay. And then as a property owner, are you also managing the, the gas gasoline station business as well, or is that? That is correct. That is correct. And also, I want to go back and, and, and refer to the timeline on the, on the fixing of the property, because the permit was issued in October of uh, 2020, and the conditional use permit expired, you know, like right in February. So it only had like five months for the contractor to do anything, but I wasn't even aware of that. And, um, you know, following up with the contractor, especially with the COVID time, was, was very difficult because everybody was having huddles in getting the work done. And uh, when finally I, I figured out that nothing was happening in October, I made several attempts. I had a call to um, contractors licensing board to as to what, whatever I could do to get the situation moving forward. I started contacting um, the city of Sacramento. I, I believe there was an inspection done and that required um, the mechanical and electrical done. So they, had, they would have had to do um, new plans for it. And uh, after I contacted him, I contacted the city staff and um, I requested for the extension and I, I was denied. I had explained them the situation and I continued to have been denied. And, and uh, finally, you know, I, with several letters, several correspondence, I was able to get the issuance of a like-to-like -like permit where I was, um, you know, informed that I'd have to get a CEQA study done. I had invested all the time and, and finances to get the CEQA study done, you know, so that we can move forward with this. Sure. And, and can I ask just, because I'm, I'm not an expert on, on just the operations of a gas station, but the implication in my mind is if a CUP is not granted, then the use of that particular property can no longer be a gas station. So what, what are the implications for you as the property owner then, because I, I would assume you would have to repurpose that that property, and as a result, I would assume there needs to be some sort of closing out of of the infrastructure. I mean, I would assume the underground storage tank would have to be capped or something like that. So, can you maybe share a little bit of kind of what what sort of other financial impact you might have to incur? It would be a huge financial impact. That would be a, a very very huge financial impact. You know, not only that I have the, the tanks that are cleaned and everything to be in compliance with, with the county, you know, since the, since the gas dispensing component is, is closed, I don't know how many other uh, compliance issues that I'm going to have to deal with. It, it would be a major, major financial burden, and um, I haven't even thought about it. Okay. Thank you. I yield. Thank you, Vice Chair Young. Uh, Commissioner Zhang. Thank, thank you, Chair. Uh, my question is for Jose. Um, so I, I was just wondering, um, is the decision specifically for this site or, or, or would this um, have been the case if it was somewhere else within like that neighborhood or that vicinity? If, if uh, well, 
I'm going to say that we evaluate everything independently. You know, everything is its own separate things. Little context matters. If it was in the same neighborhood and the conditions were different, yeah, I believe we could entertain it. But this is immediately adjacent to a, you know, a single, to a single, you know, to a house. Thank you. Um, I, I was actually kind of curious, so I did look up the other um, gas stations nearby. I think the closest one is about three quarters of a mile south, and then two other ones are about a mile away, um, just because I think somebody was asking about that earlier. Um, and then my other question is, it's kind of on the lines of what uh, Vice Chair um, Young was saying. If somebody else were to come into that space, whether it's the owner or whether they sell it to somebody else, um, if another business was to come into that space, would... Um, what would be required to, would there be any other additional remediation type um, work that would need to be done and would that be feasible for a future business to come into that space? I believe we wouldn't, we wouldn't know that until they came in and somewhat, you know, they, there, there have been environmental documents done and, you know, they can kind of tear off of those and, you know, actually determine what needs to be done to, to close the site. Because I, I do believe the, you know, the Air District will have, you know, requirements and the uh, county environmental um, will also have their requirements. So they would have to go through that whole process. Thank you. I yield. Thank you, Commissioner. Next we have Commissioner Thompson. I'll make this quick. Um, on the index that you had, can you show that slide? Yeah. One before, the one that had them all. Thank you, yes. All right, um, the transportation one, just to understand, that's uh, available access to transportation? Within yeah, it's, it's access to transportation. Okay. And it's then also the blue type is, of transportation that's, that's The blue available. is low, yes. the green would be excellent? Correct. So this neighborhood has like no access to transportation? Yeah, correct. Would it be safe to say that that means this is a, a vehicle dependent neighborhood? You could. And they are also a economically struggling neighborhood. Correct. Would also lean. Which also applies to a lot of North Sacramento as well. Absolutely. But um, would it be safe to assume that access to vehicles and the ability to move and access to economics can be tied? Of course. Okay. They are. That's all. Thank you. Commissioner Buckley. Thank you, Chair. Um, I just had one follow-up question, um, and uh, also thank you for your presentation. Really appreciate it. Um, the applicant mentioned doing work, uh, doing uh, some sequel work. I imagine in a, that was the requirement of, of the uh, the request for the CUP. Okay, so in order to request the CUP, the applicant has to do some, some correct. Ma imagine costly. Yes, in this work. case, an initial study and a mitigated negative declaration were prepared. Thank you. Vice Chair Young? Yeah, um, a question for Jose. The, the house that is adjacent to the gas station, um, when was that built? Was that built before or after the gas station? Before the gas station. Okay, so we, we the city approved a gas station adjacent to it. Okay, all right. Um, it's the city of North Sacramento. Okay. 
Okay, it was not the city of Sacagawea. Okay, all right. That's, and if, if it was had, had been part of the city at that time, we didn't have conditional use permit requirements at that time. So okay. because that's this station has been operating so long, it has a deemed permit. So. Right. Okay. Thank you for that context. And so, um, just following up on on Commissioner Buckley's question. So, by going through the CEQA process, my my understanding is that there will be mitigations and whatnot that that the property owner would need to adhere to in order to ensure that, you know, that the neighbors who lives in that house is safe and whatever sort of like odors or whatnot, that that, that is being mitigated for. Correct. Thank you. And there are, there are mitigations. Um, the, the MND does state that they could be lowered to less than significant. Um, but the secret documents, again, is informational. We're basing this strictly on citing this use next to a house. That's correct. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair. I don't see any additional questions, um, so we're going to see if there are any members of the public who wish to speak on this item. Thank you, Chair. We have uh, three speakers. Um, Sarita? Did you? Okay. Perfect. Uh, then we will call up Tara. Hi. I'm Tara. I am a resident and also a member of the Higginwood Community Association. I live on Arcade Boulevard close to Marysville Boulevard. Not far from here, I ride by that on my bicycle pretty often trying to get to the North Sacramento Bike Trail. I just want to say, so first off, just from an objective perspective, I think this whole thing is happening because of an administrative glitch, um, which is pretty upsetting. As a member of this community, it is, we are just plagued with vacant buildings. This site, because it's not an active space, has been suffering from constant dumping. Um, and I am looking forward to hopefully you guys deny or you approve, I guess, sorry, oppose the denial that was a very confusing sheet, by the way, to submit, um, and move forward with this because this is something our community needs. As somebody said, this community is dependent on vehicles. It is difficult to find a gas station sometimes because we have one that has two pumps and then you have to drive a lot farther to get gas. Um, and I am just, to be quite frank, really frustrated with the city consistently for D2 and specifically in the Del Paso area considering denying people who want to activate spaces. I know it's not ideal. I know it's not a McCoonies when that's just the reality. But secondary, if I'm not being just objective, I will say that as a community member, I attend almost all of the Higginwood Community Association meetings, and so does Sarita. And she wants to be active in our community, and she is. And she is actively participating and supporting us on National Night Out. And these are the property owners and business managers we need in our community. And we really need to consider removing some of the barriers that are being put up by bureaucracy. And I'm just going to stop there. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker uh, is Melissa. Hello, my name is Melissa Harris. I am also a member of the Hagenwood Community Association. Um, I live very near Terra as well. Um, and I really want to compliment Sarita as being an active member of our community. As far as I can tell and everything I see, she has gone above and beyond to be engaged as a small business owner. And I really want to highlight that because when we talk about a transition of space, we may not be so lucky with the next owner if somebody was even willing to redevelop this space. 
And when we're talking about another gas station and location, that is a great metric. But I would also ask you on your own time as you make the decision to see where the nearest Starbucks is. There isn't one. They don't move to our area. So when we talk about that next best use, please reframe your mind from the grid. It is very different in our community. I hope for change. But my biggest concern is that this becomes a blighted space because that's the most likely opportunity. It is a high-risk area. It has burnt down because of transients activating the space in their own way. If this business closes down, that is what's going to happen until we are lucky until someone moves in. That is what will happen. That happens on every vacant corner in our community, and that is what you are committing us to if Sarita's business can't make it. So I want you to be clear that that's the trade-off. There isn't a Starbucks coming. There is not a Starbucks in my community. And you don't have the power to make that happen. Or I would be asking for that. If you do, by all means. Or any other coffee place. The only place for coffee in our neighborhood. We have one, two local places on the boulevard. I'm looking forward to hearing about the boulevard later. And we have gas stations. That's it, okay? So I understand that gas stations are imperfect. But it is an existing use of this space. That is what is there. That is what we have. And I understand that it's inconsistent with the general plan, but there have been many, many variations made for other businesses that don't provide any resources to the residents of our community. Most of the businesses that move into our neighborhoods are, frankly, closed to the residents. They're, they're just a, a blank face in a delivery service if we're lucky. And we are told again and again we should be happy to have those variants, and you approve those variants all the time. So I'm asking you, it's imperfect. I'm asking you for another variant. Please oppose the denial <laughs> of this, I'm sorry, and let this business stay because we need local business, and there are plenty other places that another developer could use that's already truly vacant space. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Chair, I have no more speakers. Thank you, Clerk. All right, let's bring it back to the dais. Are there any comments from the commission? Also, the time for a motion. Are we looking at, who am I looking at over here? Chase or Lamas? <laughs> All right, Commissioner Chase. Uh, thank you, Chair. Is my mic on? Um, I find it very ironic that we're sitting here on this project and in a little bit we're going to hear about the Del Paso, the issues facing the neighborhood. I'm a District 2 <coughs> resident and there are issues. And and I think, yeah, I understand where the staff is coming from, uh, but I think as my colleague mentioned here, you know, the COVID kind of really shook things up and caused some delays and people missed things and whatnot. Um, I'm not hearing a, you know, a, an a, dis, a really damaging uh, output, you know, outcome of this CUP being reactivated. It's been there for years. Um, and it sounds like we're getting, you know, community support for that to be there. Um, this is an auto-centric neighborhood, and it will be for a long time. You know, public transportation is, is somewhat lacking there. Um, and 
again, you know, vacant properties, we, we need to have them reactivated and, and reoccupied. So, so given that, I'm, I'm going to uh, move that we, and I'm not sure how to word this, that we deny staff's recommendation to, to deny the COP, in effect, approve the project. Thank you. I think we have to provide the conditions. Findings, sorry. <laughs> Can you tell us some more about what we need to do, Leslie? Yes, <laughs> uh, you will need to direct, can you hear me? Can, you need to direct staff to prepare the, to come back with findings in support of the project. And I uh, would direct you to pages, um, page 13, PDF page 13 of your staff report where it has the findings of fact. And so you will need to propose uh, findings uh, supporting the project rather than denying it, so um, the general plan consistency and the, um, that the characteristics are not detrimental to the public health and safety. All right, so we have, would you like to amend your motion to accommodate that commentary? <laughs> Great. <laughs> but Is I think that you, you, you will need to provide staff with some facts in support of those findings as well. Mic on. Yes. Yeah, I, I think the fact that uh, um, this use has been there for a long time and got you know, discontinued again, as, as we've heard here, from a kind of a, a timing glitch uh, caused by an issue. Um, my finding would be that that if that had been approved or the application had come in on time it would not have been denied. It would have been extended uh, since it was an existing use and, and reactivated. So I think given that that is the only, the timing was the only issue that has caused a, a problem here, um, I would direct staff to, well, I guess to still uh, you know, approve the project, to remove, the, bring, us, bring us back an approval uh, based on the fact that while some time a deadline was was missed uh, that it was not crucial or critical to endangerment uh, of the public or anyone else. Therefore, we would find a reason to um, to support the continued use. Does that uh, make sense? After you feel like that's sufficient information to uh, draw the findings, or should we discuss it a little bit more? I think we would need a little bit more clarity. Sorry for the record. My name is Garrett Norman, senior planner with Community Development Department. Specific to compliance with the, or supporting the general plan, um, the 2035 general plan is one of the findings and also the characteristics of the uh, public health and safety of the neighborhood are the two specific findings that we need to make in order to support it. I think what I would want to do, and again, given the, the uh, report that's coming before us next uh, on the agenda, um, I'd like to ask that the project be approved based on the recommendations of the uh, Del Paso Marysville Boulevard um, report of reactivating the community. Um, it just seems uh, uh, unfair to put this particular use, particularly uh, given the, the uh, cost, if this is, uh, if the COP is denied, uh, the, 
the financial impact on the owner, the property owner, for having to remove tanks, it sounds like possible, they just, just cap things up. Um, it seems to be laying, again, because of a, just a glitch in timing, it seems to be lay, laying a, uh, a very difficult and ominous uh, uh, burden on the property owner that had they, had they met the timing deadline, there would not be an issue. So we're not introducing a dangerous issue that could not have been there initially. Uh, it's not a new uh, CUP coming along. It's really a, a, you know, a reactivation of something that, that would have been continuing who knows for how long if except for that one timing delay. So um, I guess part of it I would ask staff to consider the, uh, uh, the COVID, uh, perhaps a delay uh, as un an unfortunate product of a lot of things that happened during the last, you know, two and a half, three years uh, as a reason uh, for reversing this. Is that a board direction or? <laughs> we'll need to look specifically at the fine. Do you have page 13 of the staff, of the staff report? Um, you'll see that, that um, has the specific findings of the conditional use permit. And so if we can speak sort of directly to those, um, to findings one and two that we need to make for the conditional use permit, pointing to land use, um, excuse me, general plan policies and also um, the health, safety, convenience, and welfare um, of the community. Commissioner Chase. Would it be okay if we uh, took some other comments while you work on that? Yes, please. Great. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Buckley. Thank you, Chair. Um, is it appropriate for me to ask, uh, ask another question for Yes. Staff? Yeah. Um, um, Jose, if, if you could, uh, one more question here. I just wanted to give you a chance, if you don't want to, don't, but I'd like to give you a chance to speak to this idea of an administrative glitch. Um, and sort of what that's been in the process. And because I, I do lean the same way as Commissioner Chase, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like the process has gone the right way and just wanted to give Correct. you a chance to speak to that. Uh, I, would, I would counter that and say it's not an administrative glitch because all other property owners, all other businesses that have CUPs, deemed CUPs, they all have to play by the same rules. And we, have, we don't make exceptions to those. The way it's supposed to be, we're not supposed to bend these rules. They're there for a reason. The other businesses all have to adhere to the same rules. Um, so despite the fact that they applied for building permits, that permit sat for a while. It was, it expired. And then they came back a year later. So to, for staff, it feels more of the operations as well. If, you know, this is part of those operations. Operating that gas station is, again, you know, making sure everything is uh, to the, the, you know, standards of the air district or the other monitoring agencies, but also monitoring your, you know, your approvals and your conditions of approval. So, you know, that, that kind of speaks to it. It's kind of adds some doubt as to how the, uh, the business will continue to operate if these basic administrative things cannot be, cannot be handled in a timely manner. Thank you. Um, and then uh, to the question of, and this isn't for you, uh, so to the question of how we might modify the findings, um, we aren't being charged here, I imagine, 
to make findings that this is consistent with the general plan? Is it, is it enough to be able to say, at, this is not necessarily considered uh, consistent with the general plan. However, we think there are mitigating circumstances to why this should go forward, or are we being charged with finding, creating findings to say this is actually consistent with the general plan? You need to make findings that it's consistent with the general plan because those are the requirements of a conditional use permit. Okay. Um, thank you. It's clear for me for the for number two. Um, that we could make arguments that this is in fact beneficial to public health and safety for the community based on some of the discussion we've had on the dais. Um, so that that I feel like we can get to something on, but I'm not really sure how we get to um, dealing with number one. That's all. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Buckley. Uh, Commissioner Lamas. Chair. Um, I was kind of thinking about the same things, you know, how to be responsive to these facts of findings. Um, I did hear from staff that there was, um, and from the, the owner of this a business, that there was um, an EIR and some potential uh, mitigating components that could be incorporated to this location. Um, I'm wondering if, um, maybe the city can speak to what some of those components could look like because um, it's not lost on me that the city is trying to protect neighborhoods um, based on the current um, general plan and um, the location of gas stations in, in relation to residential spaces. Um, and so, uh, so it's not lost on me on that, uh, in that regard. Um, so I'm wondering if this were to move forward um, in, in the opposite direction, what would some mitigating factors look like um, for the city? Yes, so as part of the process, our environmental team did require that they prepare an initial study, and that initial study then directed them to prepare a um, mitigated negative declaration. So with mitigation, mitigation measures that can find that uh, the project can mitigate for impacts that are less than significant. When it comes to uh, gas stations and the dispensing of fuel, it's um, <clears throat> uh, kind of also regulated by the Sacramento um, Air District. And so those mitigation measures generally um, result in like the throughput of how much gasoline is dispensed, um, the mechanism of the dispensing itself, um, just to kind of limit the emissions and the vapors that might result as part of that. Um, probably controls when uh, you have the fuel trucks that come onto the site and then load the underground storage tanks, mitigation measures associated with that. Um, so they're very specific to the operations of a gas station in which the air district really has a hand on regulating. And they will also do their own uh, studies and uh, health impacts assessments as part of that permitting process through the Air District, which comes separate um, after entitlements. Thank you for that. So it sounds like that could be a way to incorporate some direction to staff in order to address the second fact of finding. Would that be fair to say? If those mitigating factors were required as part of the an approval? Yeah, in short, yes. Um, thank you, and, um, and to address the, the first question, and at which sounds like the bigger hurdle, 
right, how to get approval in compliance to the general plan, it sounds like, um, you know, this location was here because it was existing. So it was a deemed CUP, right? It was grandfathered in. Um, so for, but, but what we're hearing is that there's no way to now go back to that. So now, because it expired, there is, there, I guess the question is, is there any mechanism to go back to a deemed CUP or are they starting from scratch? Yeah, unfortunately, under city code, they, they lost their deemed CUP to operate um, legally. Um, so that one year had expired. Um, and so we're here today processing the new conditional use permit requirement, in which that first finding is consistency with the general plan. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Hernandez. Thank you. I appreciate um, the questions from Commissioner Buckley and Commissioner Lamas. Um, from what I've heard so far, it sounds like in addition to the findings that um, Commissioner Chase made with his motion to deny the denial and move forward with approval, we can add that uh, there are some environmental mitigation that can be uh, uh, added to this based on the follow-up uh, secret reports. Also, in terms of the characteristics, um, as Commissioner Thompson pointed out in her question, um, that this area uh, scores very low in the Healthy Places Index as it relates to public transportation and e economy, as well as it also scores higher in the green on environmental. So for those reasons in the findings, I would like to include that this um, area would benefit from this use and this project uh, because of the public transportation needs, the economic needs, and um, because it is, uh, has already been remediated on the environmental issues, and it is already high on the environmental uh, spectrum for the Healthy Places Index. Um, so with that, I would like to second um, Commissioner Chase's motion and also make <clears throat> just a couple of comments which is um, something that, um, that staff mentioned and I agree with, um, which is that context does matter. And we've been provided uh, sufficient context by staff with a history, which is great to understand and learn about that, as well as context locally from the community members here on the importance of Sarita and her commitment to, um, to this neighborhood and to her business that she's been operating here for a long time. It's unfortunate um, that her experience has had such extenuating circumstances from uh, a, you know, a leak to a fire to COVID to a general contractor losing um, their business and now her losing her permit. And, and, and it's just, I feel like because of those things, it's just, uh, I wish we could do more as a city to support our local and small business owners who are so uh, uh, embedded into their local communities. And she's already done her due diligence and, and done so much, so I just wanna um, uh, provide kudos to you and thank you for, for your commitment to, to what you do. Um, and I feel like uh, if the commission decides to move forward with approving this project, um, I just want to say that I think it's the right thing to do and that we shouldn't punish uh, folks for for such, you know, uh, extenuating circumstances that they had to go through, even though everything else they did was out of due diligence. So um, with that, um, I hope that, um, that this can move forward and uh, folks can have some place to, be, to get their coffee. Thank you, Commissioner. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner. Vice Chair Young. Yeah, I'd like to add to the conversation uh, regarding, because I think there's a, a question of finding, um, was it findings of fact? Is that what, what uh, staff is seeking from the commission? And so I'm, and we're looking at the 2035 general plan. So I think kind of from what I've heard from 
from the commission, um, from the community, um, I, I think the running theme is economic development. And so I'm looking at the 2035 general plan and looking at sort of the, the overriding policies. And so the, the policies that I would be citing would be economic development partnerships. The city shall partner with economic development organizations and businesses to improve and advance Sacramento's economic development climate. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the various materials from the different organizations, neighborhood associations, chamber of commerce that have provided um, their endorsement of Sarita's business. I'm looking at another finding of fact of ED 1.1.4, small and startup business assistance. City shall assist small and startup businesses. That's a small business, Sarita will write. So that, I think that encompasses small and startup businesses with resource referrals and financial and technical assistance to facilitate their expansion and job creation. So I think one of the community members cited in their email that there, there are gonna be jobs that come with, with this and, and they wanna see that there are jobs in this community. Um, so I, I would cite that as an additional finding of fact. And then economic development strategy, which ties into the next um, presentation. Um, city shall maintain and implement the economic development strategy to identify priorities, support prosperity, and improve long-term fiscal competitiveness. So I would, I would probably try to sway staff to kind of think in terms of economic development in this particular case, given all the context and uh, considerations that we've heard to be that support that we, we could possibly add to the, uh, the motion if, if the commission, uh, if, if Bob, if you're comfortable with those determinations. Yes, I am. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner, Vice Chair Young. Uh, Commissioner Zhang. Um, I just, I'm, very, I'm feeling very conflicted about this, so I, I was wondering if, um, has the has the neighbor that is directly um, next door to the gas station ha has that homeowner spoken up or how do they feel about what's going on? We haven't received any communications from them. Um, and I just want to say to Sarita, I I I can tell that you're a very stand-up business owner, and I appreciate your your um, involvement in the community, not just in business, but just like the other folks were saying that you are very involved in the neighborhood associations and you attend all the, all the meetings. So that is very commendable. Um, I wonder if um, if this project is not, or if the CUP is not approved, um, would there be an opportunity from city to either to offer any kind of assistance to help Sarita maybe convert this to a different business use? Maybe that, that's a question for her. I, I just wanted to bring a, a point. The neighbor that is just right adjacent to me, she's totally supportive. She's, she's my person when I'm not there, if somebody's there. So we work together and, and she's for it. The neighbor that had objected, I had spoken to her and I have attached my conversation with her and um, she is, she's for it. She said she was under the misunderstanding, but she said now she has my phone number. So in case if she has something, you know, I had notified her that there is going to be a hearing and um, I had offered to meet with her and discuss if she had any, any issues or anything going forward. And um, I haven't heard anything from her. So that, that, that was the only neighbor that um, 
that I had heard that was objecting to it, but at that time, I guess she was not aware that it, the cleanup had been done and I had notified and I had offered to send her the, the report of the cleanup. Uh, Commissioner Were Chase? you still looking for a response on the... I, just, I mean, I just, I, I don't really know. Yeah, I just didn't know if there might be, like, an opportunity if, like I said, the CUP is not approved um, and and um, there has to be different use for that space. Is there any kind of assistance or any anything that can help Sarita with... So in, in CDD and in planning, we don't offer any kind of assistance, but I would encourage the property owner at that point to reach out to the Economic Development Department to see if there's any opportunities um, within them to, to seek, you know, financial finances or monetary things. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Chase? Uh, thank you, Chair. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to find something to help staff, uh, you know, uh, findings of fact that would <clears throat> help uh, support the, the direction this is going in. Um, the, um, the initial finding of fact indicates the gas station polluting uh, used by nature um, on a previously environmental remediated site. I would uh, propose that, uh, that denying this, we are going to be add BM adding BMTs and emissions of all of the people who would have been using that one going to one of the other gas stations. I'd like to see if that can factor into uh, uh, the findings of fact. Yeah, certainly. I think from what um, we've heard tonight from the various commissioners that staff does have enough information to proceed with um, those two finding of facts that we were unable to make, um, specifically Commissioner Young and, and citing the um, economic development goals and policies and as well as um, what Commissioner Hernandez and others have uh, mentioned about it being a pre-existing gas station and being in place. Um, so it's already part of the neighborhood context um, in addition to the, the mitigation measures that would be imposed on the project as part of the uh, MND that was completed. Um, so I think staff at this point does feel comfortable um, uh, creating those findings of fact and returning that back to this commission um, should your, your motion uh, go forward in that Thank direction. You. Are you yielding your time, Commissioner Chase? Is that okay? Thank you. Um, I just wanted to have a couple of comments. Um, I really appreciate the level of engagement. I saw so many people I know that are super active in that area. Um, that you reached out to and got support from. And that I, did, I do think that that speaks volumes and that is the way we've operated with this district in particular since I've been on the commission, um, recognizing that it's a challenge for the city of Sacramento to sort of integrate um, the past practices of Old North Sacramento into its own um, organization. And... Um, I'm, ex I'm also encouraged by the fact that you want to pursue an EV charging um, uh, addition to the gas station. I would also just sort of, I'm really excited to hear from the Marysville folks and uh, Del Paso folks in a, in a minute. Um, and I'm hopeful that what's discussed there can be integrated into your plans going forward and that the city is really thinking about um, how do we help 
businesses like this, like transition. And to that end, I'm a data nerd, so um, <laughs> I asked this in our briefing this morning, but I'm curious, I would just sort of, sort of direct staff to think about, is there a way that we can proactively let business owners know when they have non-conforming uses and these kinds of conditions um, so that they can be proactive about what they choose to do going forward. Um, obviously, no one's expecting a fire to happen, but you know, like if they, come, if they want to repurpose their site for other um, uses, um, letting them know that that, that option exists and that also you know, their, their uses while they're deemed are not consistent with the general plan. Um, and with that, I would like to call the vote. Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, if you can please unmute. Commissioner Zhang. Can I ask a clarifying question? <laughs> What's so, the motion? <laughs> uh, so, so what we're voting on is, is for staff to come back with a different recommendation. Um, yeah, we are, we, are, um, we are denying staff recommendation and asking them to come back with the findings of fact that we just articulated through our conversation. Okay, and then at that point, we would have to take another vote on whether or not to approve this project or yes. this. Okay, um, that being the case, aye. Thank you. Commissioner Chase? If, uh, and I <laughs> vote means what now at this point? Oh, that's a, good, that's a good point. We're supposed to, we're, we should, if you're supporting the motion, then it's I, correct? I. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think your motion is I. An I vote is for staff to come back with findings to support approval of the project. Thank you. Aye. Commissioner Lamas? Aye. Commissioner Buckley? Aye. Commissioner Caden? Commissioner Hernandez? Aye. Messias Reed is absent. Uh, Vice Chair Young? Aye. Commissioner Blunt? Aye. Commissioner Andrade? Aye. Commissioner Thompson? Aye. And Chair Wallace? Aye. Thank you. Motion passes. Oh, thanks, everybody. Okay, <laughs> next item is the Forward Together Action Plan, Marysville, Del Paso Boulevard Commercial Corridor Neighborhood Revitalization. And we'll have a presentation from Fatima Malik. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Fatima Malik, and I'm an associate planner in the Community Development Department. And I want to thank you so much for having me here tonight to share a little bit more about the Marysville Del Paso Boulevard Action Plan. And I'm joined by Katie Robb, who will be discussing mutual assistance networks involvement as a local community-based organization partner, Cynthia Dees Brooks, community advisory committee member and local business owner to share her experience being a part of the planning process, and Mikhail Davila, my colleague, who will end the presentation with next steps. Tonight's presentation agenda includes the following. What is the action plan? A little bit of context into the North Sacramento history of land use and a community profile report, the project timeline, the public comment process, 
an engagement summary, community perspectives, and next steps. So I'm gonna start with what is the action plan? There are two separate yet intertwined documents from this project that help structure and inform the action plan. The first one is the historical context, the North Sacramento Land Use Report. The second is the Community Profile Report. This is all the data that really helped shape and inform the action plan. And there are also a couple of community-inspired documents that were developed. The first one is a CD cover concept brochure about the project. And the second is a community resource guidebook. These are companion documents to the action plan. All of these documents and work products are the result of 24 months of active research, development, engagement, and planning. So it's important to look at history and how historical events have shaped the existing conditions of the corridor today. The North Sacramento Historical Land Use Report explores the connections between land use, zoning, development history, and poverty that affect the quality of life for those who live, work, and visit this area. The Historical Context Report finds that the period between 1940 and 1970 were pivotal. There were dramatic shifts in geopolitical, demographic, and physical changes in the area. And as the annexation of North Sacramento into the city of Sacramento in 1964 happened, the interplay of zoning, access to credit, and racial covenants over the past 50 years have had tremendous impact on generational poverty in North Sacramento. The report also identifies that the area is isolated physically, economically, and psychologically as a result of the freeway constructions, Highway 80 and 160 to the north and south, which led to a drop in traffic as people bypassed the area and the closure of the Air Force Base contributed to economic decline in the region. Key findings from the land use report found that the lack of uniform public infrastructure prior to annexation and deferred maintenance meant that the city of Sacramento inherited challenges that were decades in the making. So based on the findings of the historical land use report, this action planning process was launched in August of 2021 to begin to address some of these long-standing issues. During the first phase, we conducted research and completed the land use report and set the foundation for the action planning process that guided the development of the community profile report and action plan. Upon the completion of phase one in March of 2024, next month, an 18-month action plan implementation process and revision of the action plan will begin in the summer of 2024. The Forward Together Action Plan identifies community priorities to support thriving, diverse, and equitable neighborhoods to begin to address the complex challenges of the historic and current impacts of structural racism and disinvestment. To aid city decision makers in considering potential funding for the implementation of the action plan, the Community Profile Report was developed, which can be found in Attachment 4. This, is a rep this report is a point-in-time snapshot of the existing conditions socioeconomic data within the study area, and provides robust information on the project, baseline data to help guide investments, and informs the future implementation of the action plan. This action plan is organized into four main categories and is intended to be a living document with actions that get further defined in collaboration and coalition with interested organizations, individuals, 
business owners, and diverse stakeholders who step up to build and support community aspirations. The goals and outcomes of the action plan are to improve the quality of life for diverse communities by increasing pathways to employment, for example, living wage jobs, and ownership opportunities, residential and commercial and property and business, among low-income and disadvantaged populations. The four categories are live, work, shop, and experience. And lastly, in order to submit a public comment, uh, members of the public can visit sacramento.conveyo.com forward slash forward hyphen together hyphen action plan. Click anywhere on the document to post a comment, type your name and email address, uh, you write your comment in the box, and there is a drop-down menu to select if your comment is a suggestion or a question, and you can submit by clicking post comment. All comments are requested by February 25th, and now I would like to invite Katie Robb, Director of Mutual Assistance Network, to discuss the community involvement process. Thank you, Fatima. Good evening, everyone. For those of you who are not familiar with, with me, I'm, my name is Katie Robb. I'm with Mutual Assistance Network. Our, our acronym is commonly known as MAN. And for those of you not familiar with MAN, we have been serving the Del Paso Heights community for over 30 years, and we focus on social and economic development for Del Paso Heights, Arden Arcade, and the surrounding North Sacramento communities. We were excited to be uh, brought on to be a part of this project team because we saw that this process looked different. We saw that the intentionality with what NDAT was trying to do was that this plan was to be community-driven, build upon the existing assets of the corridor and the surrounding area of it, and also really start to address, like Fatima just mentioned, the historical lack of investment into District 2. Um, and most importantly, we wouldn't have signed on if NDAT didn't say, hey, we also have some seed money to get these actions going, because what we don't want to see is another plan that lives on the shelf, or in 2024, something that lives in the cloud. Uh, so I just want to briefly share with you about our community engagement strategy for this, knowing that if we wanted to make this plan differently, we had to look at community engagement differently. It had to look more in depth. Um, I want to note that our staff members at MAN are reflective of the cultural, linguistic, and ethnic backgrounds of the community. And so for this process, we were able to conduct our outreach in English, Spanish, Hmong, and Dari as needed. Uh, so you have the infographic in front of you, but I'll just highlight a few key pieces to the community engagement strategy. First and foremost was our community advisory committee, and I'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment. Um, the community walk around. So myself and the project team, uh, Mary, who's in the audience, spent countless hours on the corridor, walking all 3.6 miles of the corridor, getting to know business owners, collecting data, just getting a feel of the sense of the, and the built environment around there. Um, we also released questionnaires to community residents as well as business owners to hear about their experiences what they want to see along the corridor, and spent many a time talking with folks of what the corridor used to look like and, the, and all of the assets that used to be in existence there. Um, we also hosted a listening session in partnership with Sacramento Housing Alliance on gentrification and displacement. Because one thing that is super important to us as an organization is that as we talk about revitalization, 
that we are not leaving our current residents and business owners behind and that they are part of that process and benefit from the growth. Um, and lastly, we've also you know, tapped into when Fatima was talking about live, shop, work, and experience, we took a look around the region and invited individuals and organizations who were doing work very similar to where we want to go and to come talk to our project stakeholders um, to give us some, some suggestions on where it is that we could take this action plan. So, And lastly, for my piece here, our advisor. So you will see 14 individuals here who are also representative of the demographics of the study area, a combination of business owners, nonprofit organizations, entrepreneurs, faith-based community, and just overall community residents who are generally interested in the, the betterment of the corridor um, and who are also very committed into moving this action plan into fruition. And I, I would be remiss without not talking about how valuable they were to this process we happen to have two in the audience tonight, Adam Ship with the Sacramento Youth Center, Adam, <laughs> and Cynthia Deesbrooks, who you'll hear from in just a moment. Um, they provided guidance and direction for this whole process, and they were very quick to tell us when we got it right, but even quicker to tell us when we got it wrong, uh, and that was valuable to us in this project. So I will yield my time to, so you can hear from Cynthia about her experiences and what this project means to her and the advisors. Thank you, Katie. Do you want me to move the clickers? Sorry. They're going to be tough now. Thank you. So, yes, I am Cynthia Dees Brooks. Um, and Katie is right. When we came in the room, we were like, been here before, don't want to see a repeat. We want action. Can we quickly move to the action? So I will tell you about myself. I'm almost 40 years ago, I lived on Eleanor Boulevard and am currently a business owner on the boulevard, about a block from the entrance of 160. And so the corridor success is extremely important to me. So having participated in the work of with Four Together, my, you know, we, it made me think about what I loved about Del Paso Heights, the boulevard, the artsy, eclectic nature of it, and I wanted it to succeed. We need to succeed. We don't want to longer be, no longer be overlooked by the city. And so, I figure we can become one of Sacramento's destination spots. And so I invested and started my business there on the boulevard. So being a part of the CAC, uh, I became really informed, learning the process of creating change to an overlooked part of the city. And, and I became excited to play a role in being a part of that change and changing the narrative of that area. So I'm, I'm continuing to engage with this process to ensure that, ensure that the work of the CAC comes to fruition, which is to create that sustainable live, work, shop experience that our community deserves. 
So another huge opportunity for me in working with this project is getting to know the city of Sacramento staff, Fatima and Michael. And on that note, I'll turn the podium over to Michael. All right, good evening, uh, Chair Wallace, Vice Chair Young, and members of the commission. My name is Mikhail Davila. I'm with the um, city's Office of Innovation and Economic Development, senior project manager over there, and I co-lead the Neighborhood Development Action Team, and that for short, um, with my colleagues Lynette Hall, who uh, is managing our community engagement division within um, economic development, and Elizabeth Boyd, senior planner at community development. Just gonna be brief, this is the last slide here, but really wanna talk about our implementation plan and sort of the next steps, and I'll hand it back over to Fatima and open it up for questions. Um, since 2020, um, with the launch of the Stockton Boulevard plan, the neighborhood, sort of development action team's uh, you know, initial effort. Um, through our community engagement efforts, we continuously received the question from community, like is there funding to support this planning effort? I think the, the sense that we got and through sort of conversation was that there was engagement and feedback fatigue, especially without this commitment um, beyond just sort of city, you know, city staff, but some funding to really seed and breathe life into the plan. And so with that, that, that seed started to form in, in the co-leads and uh, minds and really started to um, see the idea of committing some funding following these planning efforts, whether it be Stockton Boulevard plan, which is you know, to come in the, in the near future, but definitely the forward together plan. We think that the funding will really show the city's commitments to the planning effort, um, seed, and like I said, breathe life into the actions and the action plan and really get that momentum started. Um, although there's also a lot of great community work without the city that's happening, so just kind of uh, do that more in tandem and just assuage uh, some of the you know fatigue and the angst that we heard about, as Katie mentioned, these plans sort of sitting in the cloud or waiting to secure some grant funding. So. Um, to get down to the bare bones of the implementation for the Forward Together effort, we are committing $500,000 in seed funding to really catalyze the actions in this plan. The pilot grant program is sort of in development right now. There's a survey out um, that we're really trying to seek feedback on what we're thinking about the, uh, the pilot grant is gonna be and really wanna be able to make sure it does um, resonate with the folks that would propose and implement some of these community-led projects. So I just wanted to briefly talk about the pilot grant in terms of our initial vision of the structure of it. Um, but really, again, we're at this survey stage taking input. Um, again, I mentioned there's a $500,000 pool of funding. We're envisioning this pilot grant to feature two categories, um, and that's really to engage the entire spectrum of high capacity organizations that are existing and doing the work, as well as sort of individuals, residents, artists, entrepreneurs that also want to see some investment in, in themselves and their creative ideas um, uh, for connecting to the actions in the plan. And so the first category is what we're calling the collaborative impact grant a minimum of a $100,000 award or a maximum of 400,000, and we may award up to four of those. And we're really looking for partnerships of these high capacity organizations, nonprofits, faith-based institutions, community-based organizations, um, organizations that represent business community to come together and look at achieving multiple actions in uh, all the areas of the Forward Together Action Plan. 
And then sort of at the other end of the spectrum to make this sort of accessible, we're looking at an action grant, um, sort of two categories there. One is a fixed amount of a $5,000 award. Uh, we're looking at possibly 10 awards there. Um, and then a next uh, category of between 10 to $25,000 awards uh, um, and looking to fund up to five awards there. And those are really, again, for individuals. Uh, it can be organizations, it can be a collaborative of organizations, but really, again, these you know sort of entrepreneurs, uh, um, uh, individual artists to really see themselves in those things that are listed in the action plan and, and propose ideas that could really get to it. So just before I close here, I wanted to say the survey is out now. We chose to do this um, survey for two reasons. I think the purpose is one, to build awareness. A lot of times we hear from community members, I either heard about this grant opportunity from the city after the deadline, or that there's like five days left and they're having to scramble to find partners to really put something together. And so we really wanna build awareness through the survey that funding is coming, start to organize and get ready and, and give us your ideas. And I think that's the second piece we really wanna hear. What are potentially the, the barriers, unintended consequences? We did take a look at sort of the um, city's uh, internal rapid response um, racial equity tool to say, hey, this is an opportunity to hear what are those sort of unintended consequences that we may be perpetuating based on this grant? So we wanna hear that feedback, um, but we also understand this is a pilot grant. This is NDET's sort of first effort at linking planning with implementation, and we wanna take sort of the successes and what we learned and look forward to Stockton Boulevard. Um, so the NOFA is planned to be shortly released um, after I think this next stage is going to city council. Um, in mid-March, and we're looking to release sort of the pilot grant shortly after um, going to, and presenting to city council, um, so no later than maybe April 1st, coming out with this pilot grant program. Um, and it will be posted on the city's uh, website where the survey is posted right now. And with that, I think I will close and I'll turn it over to Fatima and thank the commission again for um, hearing this proposal. I'm here to answer any questions uh, if you have any. Thank you. Thank you for the presentations. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Uh, I see questions. Uh, we'll take some questions and then we'll take some public comment and then we'll. It's just, just receiving files, so. Or we're giving you recommendations, that's right. We just feel like if we feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we will. Okay, starting with uh, Commissioner Chase, man of the hour. Um, as a District 2 resident, I'm totally excited to see this plan and looking forward to implementing it and helping, helping it get implemented as well. One of the things I was really impressed with uh, is the, the segmentation of the, of the corridor because I think those are four totally distinct uh, areas, but I want to see them all come together, and I think they will. Um, I've always envisioned uh, this entire boulevard as just having great bones, and I think it's just a matter of now, you know, adding some meat to those bones and bringing them back to life. Uh, they will, each segment I think will complement each other, uh, you know, moving down to greater density perhaps in the, you know, the more southern uh, District 3 area, which I think as we all know back in the 90s was really starting to take off. Uh, arts involvement and whatnot and, and then it just, you know, it died out. I think we can pick that up but we're starting to see businesses again uh, go in there. Uh, glad to see Sammy's uh, begin to start uh, work on renovation to, to come back there. Um, so I, I think it's interesting, I think, what happened here. A lot of people aren't aware of the, the, the history of uh, uh, North Sacramento, uh, which was annexed into the city of Sacramento in 1964. 
Uh, and prior to that, it was a thriving city on its own. And uh, people were in fact coming over some of the shopping opportunities, I think in terms of certain meat and grocery, uh, things that were not available in the city of Sacramento, people were coming across the river to come to North Sac for that. Uh, surprisingly, and again, uh, some of the history is a little blurry, but um, initially there was a vote of opposition by the residents of North Sacramento to be annexed uh, into the city of Sacramento. Ultimately, though, of course, <laughs> we were annexed in. And some people think after that annexation that it contributed to the area just being somewhat neglected and not getting the attention that it deserves. And so I see this plan as bringing focus back onto uh, you know, something that does deserve that and, and has got great potential uh, to be a real asset. I'm also hoping, too, uh, you know, when I first heard about this, I was a little disappointed that this corridor didn't go before Stockton Boulevard. But I'm also hoping that lessons learned from Stockton Boulevard may help inform things that, that uh, occur and happen uh, along uh, Del Paso, uh, Marysville Boulevard. So I just want to thank staff, every consultants, everyone involved in this re report. Very, very well done, and, and I look forward to seeing it move forward. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Chase. <coughs> Commissioner Blunt. Um, thank you very much for your presentation. This is fantastic. Um, so one thing that uh, stuck out to me, um, my dad was in the military, uh, so I grew up around and in, in military bases. Um, McClellan closing, uh, I kind of take it personally. <laughs> it's like uh, uh, an attack on my hometown, sort of. Um, so I, I'm just, I'm curious, um, with the references to McClellan closing and that the impact on this community, are those, are those anecdotal or is that quantifiable? Yeah, I, I think it's a little, it's a yes and. And what we know about the history of Del Paso Heights and how it was developed, listening to the, the people who live there or their parents and, and just the migration patterns, uh, most people who lived in Del Paso Heights worked at the McClellan Air Force Base. And so when that base closed down, it did you know, there were a lot of jobs that were lost and, it, and, and the neighborhood has yet to find, you know, a similar comparable economic opportunity to that level. And um, in the community profile report, one of the key findings that we um, learned from, again, doing a lot of the questionnaires with the community is that 95% of the people who live in this area work outside of this neighborhood in this area. And so while there's um, still more information that we would need to, you know, kind of um, understand to what magnitude that, you know, closure, the impact and effects of it, but I think um, knowing the unemployment rates and the poverty rates in the area and, and also still um, looking for additional anchor institutions or, you know, Stockton Boulevard, yes, Thank you for bringing that up because uh, one thing we know about Stockton Boulevard, you have this anchor institution, and so it still has a lot of spin-off economic opportunity. In North Sacramento, when McClellan did close down, yes, now it's a business park, and so there's still some businesses taking place, but we don't know how many people actually who live in the neighborhood work there. And so that, that would probably be further information that we could dive into to find out the impacts that it had. Well, um, if there's any way that I can help in... Uh 
you know, yelling at the Department of Defense or, or whoever needs to be yelled at, please let me know because um, I would love to raise my voice uh, along those lines. Um, and uh, as Commissioner Chase was mentioning with Stockton Boulevard, I'm also curious, like, um, with, with this plan, is there a consideration of, um, like, the impact that the Aggie Square development may have on this neighborhood? Uh, like, I'm wondering if there's, like, you know, you just said like people yeah. here like in the neighborhood, like they, they work elsewhere outside of the neighborhood. So I, I imagine that some people will be, right? I'm gonna ask Elizabeth, do you wanna maybe come help speak on that? I, I can take a guess, but I'll let Elizabeth, cause she works on the stocking floor plan and I might have some ideas, but I'll let you speak to that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that we've done any studies on how Aggie Square affects North Sacramento. I mean, obviously it's um, a big effect around Stockton Boulevard. But it, I think it's, it starts to, the, the data just isn't available to give that um, estimation. It's interesting to know that 95% of the folks in the neighborhood um, work outside because in the Stockton Boulevard area, it's about, um, you know, like the same percentage of people work outside as work inside. So it's like a swap. Like everyone, um, the people that work inside the neighborhood are living outside the neighborhood and the people that are working um, outside the neighborhood live in the, like it's, it's like an exact swap. So I'd be curious um, how the two data, you know, compare, but it's, it's just, we just don't have the data. Okay. Thank you. I yield my time. So, uh, and Fatima was bringing up, um, we have done some um, studies of gentrification in both North Sac and in the Stockton Boulevard area. So we'd have to, um, I'd, I can go into that a little bit more, but um, I don't think it provides any information on the Aggie Square and um, up for North Sac, at least. Thank you. Uh, next, we have Vice Chair Young. Uh, first off, I just want to applaud the staff and the community members who uh, took part in this planning effort. And um, this is something that uh, I, I really appreciated the comprehensiveness and the thoughtfulness that the community tried to put to to kind of envision right a better place. And um, I also want to give a, a special shout out to Mutual Assistance Network, Katie Robb, and all the work that they have been. They've been in that neighborhood for is it twenty plus years, thirty plus, yeah, thirty plus years. And and I think that. Um, there's a mount, There's something about faithfulness to a community that brings about trust, and um, I appreciate what you guys have been trying to do with the limited resources that you have. Um, but there's some just great stuff that they're they're still continuing to try to do. If you take a look at their website, um, just really appreciate their efforts. Uh, absolutely, we could not have done this work without Mutual Assistance Network support. So thank you. Yes, um, I I wanted to. Um, focus on more of the, the implementation aspect of, of the report. Um, I, I recognize that there's some grant fundings and, and whatnot that, that are helping to move things forward, um, but I wanted to maybe focus on the, the live portion of the, the report. Um, the affordable housing aspect is, is a huge piece, and I think that this has been um, an area that, that we've, we've talked ad nauseum about on this planning commission and, and wanted to address. But I think this is probably the best forum 
to, to really think about proactively implementation. And so I'm, I'm encouraging um, staff and community members to maybe um, consider a more ambitious um, effort to, to see affordable housing happen in your area. And the reason why I say that is, um, you know, when we're talking about seeing affordable housing happen, right, we're, we're talking about very expensive projects, right? And, and really kind of where, where the city is and a lot of other cities around the nation is there's just a lack of, of public funding available to make affordable housing happen at the rate that we want it to. And I know that there's a lot of creative efforts and whatnot to, um, to, to find new and more cost-effective ways to build it, but that's just not, we're just not there yet. Um, however, I think that any kind of effort to um, set aside funding for, for housing is going to need an effort of the people to speak to um, community leaders, officials. I think that, um, you know, what's going to happen is really what's needed is, is, is another public funding mechanism. And that really, at this point, cannot happen without a voter-approved bond measure. And I know that um, this is talking about a bond measure during an economic recession is is not the sexiest thing to to really did I say that in public is not <laughs> the best thing to be talking about, especially when everyone's really just trying to, to get by. Um, but I think when we when we think about a bond measure and we think about um, supporting that as a community, right? I mean, it, it's talking about generating mutual trust, right? Um, with everyone in the community. Everyone knows we need it, um, but are we all collectively willing to, to pay for it? And, and I think that our leaders who are out there who, who probably are thinking about it, they, they need to know that this is something that the community wants to support. And, and I think that to the degree that you as community leaders can spur, um, spur hearts and minds to think about that, especially during tough times, I think would be really um, needed. And so, so that's, that's one piece that I would, would say as far as focusing your implementation efforts. I think the second piece is that um, there are still agencies, and I'm thinking of SHRA, um, you know, they, they, they have made multiple efforts, right, to call out, we need more funding, right, for us to, to, um, to really implement housing. And, and presently, their priority right now, with the limited funding that they have, right, is to really focus on the homeless population. And, and I, I absolutely agree with, with their, because of the precious dollars, well, let's, let's try to help those who are in need. But, but if you can imagine, if we are able to bring additional dollars into um, into the city, right? So that allows us to prioritize funding to certain locations, right? Like your community, um, to Stockton Boulevard. And so we can begin to start identifying other, other populations like the seniors, which we're going to hear from their, um, their report. And so I, I, you know, I applaud the fact that we are identifying 
um, that housing is an issue. But I think that we need to be, um, I think we need to be a little bit more ambitious of, of really trying to, to make it happen. And so I would encourage um, greater collaboration with SHRA. They may not be in a position right now to set that aside, but I think to the extent that communities can uh, communicate to SHRA and, and to the rest of the city so that these, these plans which speak for the community are in alignment with our funding agency so that they can also prioritize um, informatively, I think would be a great, um, a great service to the city. Um, and then I think the other aspect that I would love, love to see is um, I would love to see a little bit more land banking in the, um, in the report. I think to the degree that we can set aside um, vacant sites and even better to get some sort of infrastructure funding to make sure those sites are developable. And if you're even able to get project-based vouchers set aside for a site, you will, you will get a developer there. Um, to, to build. And so um, I'm, I'm trying to give you what I know are, as sort of kind of like the secret sauce steps, right, of, of really trying to attract developers to invest in your community. Um, and so I think that in your efforts to whatever degree we can secure land, I think that's also another great positive first step as well. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair. Commissioner Buckley. Thank you, Chair. Hi, Fatima. Um, the uh, great presentation, really exciting work. Um, thank you so much for doing it. Um, and I learned uh, really fascinating things about the history of North Sacramento. In fact, in the last presentation when someone said, oh, you know, the timeline messed up for when the gas, I was like, oh, yeah, it's because it got annexed at this point. So I really appreciate that. Um, and uh, the presentation as a whole, um, I think it was, uh, Michaela spoke to um, engagement fatigue. And I, I know Fatima has done this work in the community and asked the community what they want. Um, a lot for a long time trying to do that kind of engagement to find out what the community needs are and I've done it too and you know oftentimes when we go out and we, we talk to folks you know they, they give us sometimes the answers that we know all people want in their communities I'd like to live in a safe place with safe streets I'd like a park I'd like a grocery store I'd like um, a child care center things like that but I think the, the other flip side of engagement fatigue is what you all found when you talked to your community. You learned a lot about community culture. You learned a lot about arts. You learned a lot about what the community wanted. So I think that while you know moving on from engagement is a really important part as a community member um, lifted up, I think the engagement you did really um, bore some fruit. So just congratulations on that too. Um, and um, I have a couple of questions. Um, about um, the grants um, and I'm just trying to wrap my head around how um, the grants might be utilized I know you're not trying to prescribe for the community how those grants are um, or how those applications come in but just some some give us a sense of kind of like how you imagine them being utilized in a way and how large would the grants be in general if you have an idea yeah, so the, uh, thank you, good question. I appreciate um, the comments. I actually forgot to mention this earlier, but I'm so thankful to this project team, not only the folks that are presenting, not only the city staff at Tima, but uh, you heard it from the presentation before, this community is special to work in. So I'd just be remiss if I didn't say that. Um, 
A $500,000 pool of funding is what we're sort of thinking about right now, categorized into sort of two areas. I think for the action grants, we're really thinking like, you know, six to 12 months, we want to see these things accomplished. I think for the $5,000, like these are quick projects, whether it's sort of a mural, a, um, you know, neighborhood traffic circle beautification, a cleanup event, things like that. We want to see, you know, that this... Um, plan has been, um, you know, finalized and there's action happening and it's tangible, right? It's real. So that's where I think a lot of our uh, creatives can come in and really support on this work. Del Paso is such a rich community for that, for the um, arts community. And so I think a lot of that beautification effort, um, clean and safe effort could be from the action grants. Um, if you'll see in the plan, the actions are categorized short, intermediate, long-term. So I think for the collaborative grants, we're really hoping that, one, there's organizations that have capacity to do, whether it's workforce development and training programs, small business development um, programs, and really supporting entrepreneurs. Uh, um, I think you mentioned it or uh, in the live section uh, around financial empowerment. We want to see this development come, but we want to make sure the residents are ready for it and that they can sort of reap the rewards of these newfound sort of developments that come. And so what are these partnerships that can come together? Some of this funding needs to go to building their capacity to make sure that they can continue this work, um, but find out how they can, you know, partner on multiple areas of the action plan and, uh, you know, work on creating a commercial corridor that's vibrant, that brings back the events, that has a, you know, a destination feel. I think uh, Cynthia mentioned, not that it doesn't now, but let's enhance it. Let's have that identity. Let's have those segments sort of work together. So how can that sort of collaborative grant really bring those organizational partners together to think about this holistically and put sort of egos aside and, and work together? It's really helpful. Were there any other uh, cities or any other experiences that you were able to sort of tap into to think through how this might play out? I worked in the city of Seattle for five years and um, really worked in, a com in communities that were uh, high opportunity and at risk of displacement, um, where, especially during the boom time. And so, you know, you look at creating these sort of partnerships because of the collective voice that it can bring. And I think one thing special about what's different about this plan, not only was there action along the planning effort, I think you'll... You'll look at sort of the, the CARES and ARPA funding that our city put out from Alfresco grants to the 916 program. We had the, the council district office have a $5 million ARPA funding that went towards facade improvements that we're still sort of in the middle of. So there was action, but it, it, it's about, and you'll see it somewhere there, but it's, there's like a quote about we need to be singing our same, our same song. So how do we sort of build that you know, collective voice around um, uh, with the community and the city aligned into what they, you know, what they want to see moving forward. So, great, thank you. Um, I'm not sure who this next question is for. Um, it's around displacement and potential displacement strategies. I mean, I, I am, um, you know, as Commissioner Chase said, it's a beautiful boulevard. You can tell a lot of care went into the creation, and, and the community at large has some really great. I think you said great bones to it, and I think that's really true. I think similar to Oak Park, right? You can go through Oak Park, you know this this is a beautiful place and has um, more potential than it you know than it's showing at the moment. Um, but with that, right, um, the the gentrification and the displacement can come quick once we start to make changes, make these kinds of investments. And I just wondered if you all had, um, I, I know you speak to displacement in the report, but I wonder if you have any sense of sort of the kind of strategies we might employ early on um, to try to offset displacement in the community as this kind of change in investment happens. Uh, 
First of all, I'm Elizabeth Boyd, senior planner. I forgot to introduce myself. But um, I think it's such a really deep um, discussion of what does that look like. It includes, you know, the um, wealth building and, you know, just helping folks find living wage jobs and all that. Um, you know, we're also looking at housing and not just um, affordable housing by, you know, like regulated, but also accessory dwelling units. We're working with the Greater Sacramento Urban League. Um, they've been doing some amazing work um, to, you know, really branch out. And uh, so we had a fair up there last year just to try to get people connected. Because, you know, there are some folks um, that are able to build some housing. So trying to get that as a way to stabilize and to provide additional housing and to provide additional wealth. Um, we're working, um, our wonderful community engagement um, co-lead um, got a grant for uh, looking at the black wealth gap. Um, it's called City Start, and um, we've been doing some studies, and then every other week we meet with a group of um, workforce development folks, a group of um, lenders and banks, and then a group of housing um, folks. And so we're asking the questions of how can we reduce the black wealth gap, and I think a lot of that also addresses issues of gentrification because you're looking at stabilization, helping people um, gain connection to jobs. I wish that there was a quick fix that we could just, like, tell you, you know, we're getting at it right now, but we're really trying to look at it holistically through a wide variety of aspects. Um, and, you know, we're, we're making moves and we're working with a lot of different partners. I'm really excited about um, Golden One. They, um, you know, just recently broke ground on um, being at uh, Urban League. Um, they are actually with uh, the greater, uh, the Urban League is actually working on some housing you know, talking about land banking, we have some redevelopment properties that they had actually taken on, and they'll be building some housing up there. Um, so it's a hard thing to describe. I think entrepreneurship is a big part of what um, Mikhail has been working on, of trying to figure out, like, how do we connect folks to small business resources? Um, so it's, it's hard to, like, fully do that, but we're trying to look at all things, and we're working um, among the different departments to look at this in, in all the different ways. Um, once again, our community engagement lead, um, she was looking at fines and fees because, you know, those can have an impact in, you know, how people live and, and you know, just a small fee. Um, we um, have looked at, you know, a variety of um, programs. You know, there's some things that we were able to get funded in the Stockton Boulevard area and, um, you know, temporarily funded for uh, bill payment um, Assisted, rental payment assistance during um, COVID. And so, you know, I think we could just continue to look at opportunities like that of how do we prevent the instantaneous, um, you know, displacement of folks and then the long-term um, just giving them more resiliency to stay in the neighborhood and thrive. Thank you, appreciate that. Um, just to piggyback a little bit on Commissioner Young's comments around affordable housing, affordable housing is a, is a big part of that too. Um, studies have really demonstrated that putting affordable housing in gentrifying areas, areas experiencing displacement, afford, putting affordable housing there can really offset that impact. Um, so just for your consideration, and I know you're exploring, but I think that's a, a good advocacy point for why affordable housing should go in a community um, like, like Del Paso Heights. Um, I also, I, th I do think a bit about this a little bit from uh, an affirmatively furthering fair housing lens. The, the, um, the, the city and our housing element, we have to make sure that we're um, citing 
and planning in a way that affirmatively furthers fair housing. And I think there are a couple of ways we could do that, and I think a couple of them are important to Del Paso Heights and the work that you're doing. One, the first one that comes to mind is really, um, well, anti-displacement. I think that's an argument for affordable housing to go into that area, um, subsidized affordable housing. And then um, community development. You know, um, a, a part of um, our AFFH mandate is to make sure that we're lifting communities up, right? Um, not just, you know, we have mobility strategies where we're trying to create more opportunities in high resource areas, but how do we make areas, how do we grow resources in communities like, like Del Paso Heights and uh, North Sacramento? And, um, you know, the work you're doing in tandem with affordable housing is a community development strategy, right? And it, it really makes the argument that if we put affordable housing and low income folks in a community like that, there will be resources and they will be in a thriving community that helps them um, achieve their goals. Um, so just something to think about as, as you go down this road and you know, just to keep in mind, you know, this, the city does have this AFH policy in, the, in their housing element. It's something to turn back to and think about how the work you're doing advances that for the city and, and, um, and how we can do that more in partnership. Um, the last thing I wanted to say is that, um, you know, uh, I, to, I, I think it was, um, I'm not sure who spoke to this, but uh, mutual assistance networks, uh, commitment to the community. I mean, it's really laudable. Um, to have someone working in a community like that for 30 years is just an, an amazing thing, and it's clear that it's appreciated, and, um, and you know, we see some of it manifesting today. I'd also say, though, it's really neat that the city has someone who lived in that community and lives in that community um, to do this work, and I just think about how incredible it would be if we had city planners from every part of Sacramento who could come in and do work on... Um, a community that they know and they love and they understand. Um, so I just say, I would just say, you know, to Director Sandlin, good job, and uh, keep uh, pulling from the talent in Sacramento so that we can get good work like this. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Buckley. Commissioner Caden. Yeah, thank you, Chair, and thank you to, to staff for all the great work you've done on this project. I wanted to just echo, I mean, continuing on this theme of affordable housing, I do think this is a huge, huge part of this plan and, and the implementation of this plan. And I would just echo, I think, your um, plea for, you know, getting some sort of local affordable housing source of funding. And I, I know we're exploring the vacancy tax. I would love to see that. I'd love to see something else too, like a parcel tax, something that we can, again, all sort of share in this collective responsibility to fund affordable housing in our city. Um, recognize that's not the, within the scope of this particular project, but I just I want to reiterate that, that that's something that we should absolutely be continuing to beat the drum for. Um, so we need, we need more uh, local money for that. Another way that we can kind of see some of that affordable housing funding is through attracting grant money um, from the state um, and from other sources. Um, I ha I've had the opportunity to work on a couple um, grant applications in, in this area on Del Paso Boulevard in a program called the Affordable Housing and Sustainable Communities Program, which is a very specific program. It's not, it's not like a lot of the other programs, but the idea is that you're essentially funding affordable housing at the same time while also funding um, you know, low carbon transportation infrastructure um, around that, that project. One of the challenges that we had when looking at projects in this area was that there were not um, environmentally cleared active transportation projects that could be coupled with the application for affordable housing. Um, 
And part of that challenge stems from, uh, well, there's a variety of challenges there, but like I think part of that stems from a lack of a specific plan. I know this is not a specific plan per se, and I, I recognize what we're trying to do with this plan that's kind of different than a specific plan. But I think that's one thing I would encourage us to do. I mean, not just specifically for you know eligibility and competitiveness in the AHSC program, but just in general to be funding active transportation and sort of an investment into this um, community is to see what we can do to environmentally clear more of these active transportation, you know, bike and sidewalk projects. I think that that I think would set us up for success for a lot of these grant programs that um, you know, frankly, are not you know, designed to be kind of doing the full sort of breadth of design and then build. They, they're, they're last in money programs that want to just see, oh, you have that thing and already environmentally cleared, um, we're going to fund that and we're the last money in. So I, I don't know exactly if that's directly an implementation out of this particular plan, but I would just encourage the, the planning staff to kind of think through how we can increase the number of environmentally cleared active transportation projects. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I, I definitely um, think this is a, a, a great opportunity for us to continue to work closely with our transportation planners and the Department of uh, Public Works, who are um, also working really hard on uh, finding funding to help support some of those uh, active transportation needs. Um, you know, one thing that's really important to point out about Marysville and Del Paso Boulevard is that. Um, it's part of the Vision Zero study that they've done. So a lot of the uh, traffic-related accidents and fatalities um, happen on this corridor. Uh, this is These two corridors combined include two of the five corridors in the city that have the highest uh, you know, sites for, for incidents of crashes. Um, and our colleagues, uh, Leslie Mancivo, has applied uh, for a, quite a few uh, grants to help with some of those uh, changes in transportation uh, along the Marysville uh, Boulevard side, um, and they're actively working on seeking additional funding. So thank you for that. We'll continue to, to help um, look into that. So thank you. Great. And and one other just high-level comment is that um, I was kind of surprised to not see a mention in, in the plan around the Valley Rail um, extension, because um, I, I know that that's, you know, coming relatively soon. I. I, I don't know if the timeline is, is still intact, but I, I, at one point it was going to be, you know, six round trip uh, yes. trains from the, the new station. And I think that's a great opportunity, and, and I, I definitely think we could certainly look into that, and I'll let you answer that. Yeah, we, we have talked to the agency um, in charge of that. They have a station going in, um, I think it's the Panhandle, um, and they're looking at a station in um, our general um, planning area but there's no certainty of that. So we have been in discussion. Um, this is not a land use plan per se, so we haven't incorporated any land use changes because the general plan is so um, pervasive. Uh, I'll have Greg. <laughs> Good evening, Chair Wallace, members of the commission, Greg Salmon, planning director. The San Joaquin Rail Authority did get a grant from the state to help with active transportation planning connecting uh, the corridor to this but they're calling it the old North Sacramento station that is planned. So um, I think ha having more, from a land use perspective, things are pretty good in terms of TOD around that station area, but um, coordinating with public works and of course staff here um, soon will help with uh, that type of station planning and getting that station set up there. 
Right, yeah, it, I guess it just, it strikes me as a huge sort of opportunity where, you know, a, a huge theme, you know, throughout this plan was attracting investment, right? You know, this is a massive investment that the state is making in, you know, connecting this station with effectively Silicon Valley. You'll have, be able to take a one-seat ride, you know, in six, six trains by 2030. So I do think that, that there's a tremendous opportunity to kind of build around that investment and make sure that, you know, the, the kind of heart of the corridor on Del Paso is able to connect to the station itself, which is kind of awkwardly right off the corridor. So thank you. I'll leave my time. Thank you, Commissioner Caden. Excellent uh, suggestion. We'll definitely follow up on that. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Lamas. Thank you, Chair. Hi, Fatima. Um, I want to thank the group for all the hard work you guys have done. Um, I was a previous board member for GNNA, Garland Northgate Neighborhood Association, and the Natomas Community Association. And so I, 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 um, one of the comments did resonate with me from uh, one of the, the business owners about how a lot of times you get asked about your opinion and what need is needed in the community but there may not necessarily be action. And so I'm glad to see that there is this component of that that's looking to make a difference, um, which I think is tremendous and to, to entice folks to get involved and to actually see some of these changes come to fruition. Um, I had a question about funding. Um, I'm curious, uh, it sounds like there was a plan uh, created in Stockton Boulevard. Did that plan also have $500,000 allocated? And if so, um, because I, I do see this as a pilot program, is that funding um, allocation kind of consistent for this pilot program and are other communities also being considered for potential, for, as part of this potential pilot? Very good forward looking question. I'm sorry if I wasn't, um, or I miscommunicated it earlier, but both plans are sort of moving forward simultaneously. I think Stockton Boulevard is, is coming next, um, you know, soon. So that uh, forward together is sort of first, we have allocated the $500,000 to both this area as well as Stockton Boulevard. And so once that sort of plan goes forward and gets adopted, I think it's sort of uh, on the path with the general plan. Um, and Elizabeth can speak to that more, but we are dedicating um, funding to that. And then to your broader question, I, I think um, we're thinking the pilot grant could look the same, but we wanna take lessons learned from what we you know do here in North Sacramento and um, implement them for Stockton Boulevard. But then we are looking for our sort of NDAP priority areas, really having some sort of grant funding um, to those areas as well, uh, more broadly citywide. Thank you. And so just to clarify, 500,000 for Stockton Boulevard, 500,000 for Del Paso. Okay. That's right. Um, and thinking kind of long-term, because it looks like these are measure U dollars that were utilized for this. Um, are there some metrics that um, the city staff is looking to track and in terms of like outcomes and maybe justifications for future um, neighborhoods to be incorporated as part of this pilot, uh, showcase maybe some of the successes. Um, curious to see you know, how the staff is incorporating that. Certainly, I think there's uh, more work to be done on sort of outcomes and metrics related to the implementation of the overall plan. I think when it comes down to the pilot grant, we're gonna look at the proposals and really work with the sort of proposers on what are those sort of outcomes and metrics. It's actually one of our questions in our survey because through some of the federal funding work that we've done too, we see 
reporting requirements can be sort of burdensome, but we also need to be able to tell the story. And so what are those quality of life metrics? I'll kind of point to our city manager's investment committee that has sort of looked at a, a range of quality of life metrics that we want to um, continue to track to show sort of inclusive economic development, you know, moving the needle in that. And so we'll take a look at that and be able to sort of um, take our first go at it with the pilot grants. Perfect. Thank you. I love the work you guys are doing. Loving to see what's going to happen and how we can do more of it. Thank you. I yield my time. <laughs> Commissioner Hernandez. Thank you. Thank you to staff and everyone involved in this incredible um, program and project. Really excited to see and hear um, what y'all are doing. Um, Commissioner Lamas asked one of the questions that I was thinking about, which is uh, related to metrics and accountability. So glad to hear that that will be kind of part of the next step. Um, I think that part's going to be really critical, especially as we think about the sustainability of, of all the goals that we have uh, envisioned for this for this area. Um, I just have a, a brief call out because I have um, Sarita's experience still fresh in my mind from, um, from the the last project that we uh, that we voted on, and I'm really glad to see that um, the community has an interest in addressing vacancy and vacancy rates. Um, I, I, rec I recognize that under the shop category, um, there are approximately five actions, including for short-term and long-term, as well as in the work category, um, which is focused on retaining um, businesses. So I just wanted to call that out and say that I'm glad to hear that, and I would like to. I'm interested in knowing uh, future steps as, as this moves along. Um, there's a. a, a I don't have the page number here, but 58% um, of businesses in that area are concerned about retention, um, and I have to imagine that Sarita's experience is not unique, um, and so I just want to do as much as we can um, to support uh, and retain businesses in that area. So um, that's all I really have, but thank you so much for, for being here tonight. I don't know if you'll have access to the slides afterward, but I did prepare a few bonus slides that maybe I will just um, bring up uh, so I think, is this what you're mentioning? The 58% are concerned about being able to Yes, and there are about 40 plus vacant sites along the corridor. corridor. And so that is a huge uh, both challenge and opportunity um, in how we can begin to address some of these issues. Um, and I guess I wanted to also just maybe uh, follow up with um, Commissioner Buckley, some of the um, questions you had and then even related to the metrics. So um, you, you heard from the presentation earlier, there's um, Quite a few metrics in place, SB 535, Healthy Places Index, provides a lot of uh, statewide uh, indicators that can continue to be used to help monitor uh, the outcomes for the community. Um, and then the other opportunity that we have is the community profile data. The data in the community profile report serves as a baseline data to help us understand what is happening in the neighborhood. And so I will um, just call out here that um, speaking to displacement or gentrification, it's um, already happening. Where lower income residents and units are leaving the area, the number of higher income residents and units is increasing. So you're seeing that 61% increase in residents, uh, of residents making 75,000 or more. Um, and there's a loss of about 1,500 units with rents that are less than 800, and an increase of 2,000 units with rents greater than 800. Uh, dollars. And so, so there are metrics or there's some baseline data that we can continue to look at and help monitor, um, you know, how these actions can help support, um, you know, improving the, the conditions for, for the community. One, one last comment and then we'll open for public comment. Uh, <laughs> Vice Chair Young. 
Um, yeah, I just wanted to ask on, in the report, um, is was there any consideration of like, um, I think they're called HUD enterprise zones um, as a potential tool that could be used? Um, essentially, it's, it's trying to get a designation so that tax incentives could be um, secured by businesses who wish to invest in that area? I believe it was considered, but I, I don't, I can't recall now exactly okay. the Maybe conversation around it. I, okay. yeah, I feel like it do. already is, but I'll have to look into that. Okay. And it's already is, I think, a HUD enterprise zone. HUD enterprise zone. It's already in there. Opportunity zone. It's like. The House of Boulevard is designated as a HUD enterprise zone, if I'm not mistaken. But I'll double check. Okay. And then the other thing was, um, I can't recall the term, but it's it's some form of tax increment type of. EFID. Huh? EF, the Enhanced Infrastructure Financing District. Is that what Correct. Has that been also kind of explored as a possible future funding mechanism for Stockton Boulevard for sure um, related to Aggie Square yes. related to Aggie Square and so it's it's a tool I right. think when you talked about you know infrastructure and and housing right. so if you, if you want to speak to that a little bit so we've looked at it extensively for Stockton Boulevard and um, similar to redevelopment it's really based off of what is your baseline tax and what do you think right. you'll get in the future so you're bonding against that future tax increment and at the moment unfortunately we don't have any um, you know, impetus to see a huge increase in tax increment. So it makes it hard to bond against that future. Oh, okay. So um, without that, okay. yeah, we did, when we had redevelopment, there was a lot more taxes that were um, contained in that tax increment. And now it's just our, our portion, which is pretty small okay. um, comparatively to the so, whole. So are you obligated to effectively do a bond if once you designate that area some some zone because my, my thought was like you don't have to bond right away like just let's let that thing grow at, over time and then use it when the, you the can. process is fairly expensive um, we've I been see. working on it for Stockton Boulevard and um, four hundred thousand dollars was set aside for investigating it and working through the process and um, by uh, Wexler um, which was the um, profit partner of the UC Davis um, Aggie Square. So there is no you know, pot of funding to work through that process. And it's possible um, to do it, but it just, um, yeah. just knowing from my work on Stockton Boulevard, it takes a long time for that increment to build up. And there's quite a lot of um, bureaucratic hurdles and costs associated with that. OK, maybe I'll talk with you offline a little okay. bit more. Thank you. OK, thank you. Um, I'm going to open it up for public comment, and then we'll close it up. Um, Clerk, are there any folks who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. Yes, we have uh, three speakers. Uh, first speaker will be Melissa. Thank you so much. My name is Melissa Harris. Um, I introduced myself before, part of the Hagenwood Community Association. I have been a resident in Hagenwood in North Sacramento District 2 um, since January of 2020, and I am so proud to be a resident there. And one of the things I hope you'll do here tonight is look around this room and see the people who are standing up and asking you to support North Sacramento. Um, I, I want to say that Sacramento can get big things done, right? We have raised uh, old Sacramento one story uh, for flooding. Um, that we built the uh, sidewalks in Midtown, uh, in the grid, right? 
so to, to allow people to enjoy that area. Um, the, the changes in Oak Park, the Stockton Boulevard that got underway, and South Sacramento are amazing. So when we, when we want to get something done, we can do it. So I want us to be clear that this is something that is possible. We have done it, and that is the Sacramento you see today. Um, you asked that North Sacramento come to you and, and present what they needed, and that's what this plan does. It's not our first time, though. And we're all worried that this plan is going to sit on the shelf. Um, North Sacramento is 100 years old this year is when it incorporated. And it's been part of the city for 60 years. And it incorporated as part of the city for development opportunities because Sacramento could get things done. And we still wait. So I'm asking you to consider whatever you choose to do an anniversary present. We're worth it. Okay, so it's not enough for you to approve this measure, which I hope you will all do. I'm asking you each and every one of you to personally come visit us. We're 10 minutes away. If you've never been there, this is your year. It's our 100th anniversary. Come shop at our local businesses and look and see what you can do in your position to encourage the city and hold them accountable to make this change possible. Um, whether I think the minimum would be to make sure that there's a planning group of, of you know, the planning staff, the utility staff, transportation staff to make things happen. I heard us talk about the light rail station. We don't have a light rail plan station, like plan. There's not a plan for the light rail stations. They built it, they don't have a plan. You want an actual plan? Please make the city responsible for that. Marconi Station does not have a complete plan. Um, at a time, I just wanna say, we so appreciate this. We are an up and coming area. We have a lot of new people moving into this community. We are also an area that's an early adopter of ADUs. Many of the people in my neighborhood, because we were zoned as multifamily, have already implemented that. So please come take a look. We're a changing but vibrant community, and I'm just really appreciative of you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Tara. You guys heard me introduce myself earlier. I'm gonna lead with, I'm a morning person. This is an hour from night-night time, so eloquence is out the window. Um, I was happy to hear how this plan was received. It seems like everyone is planning to move it forward, but I do wanna express that I, I really hope that is the intent. Um, I also wanna add that man, Katie and Mary, stepped up in our community. Not only are they socially and economically invested, but they've can now add, add environmental. Um, they recently helped Hagenwood Community Association as fiduciaries so we could um, do a huge cleanup on Arcade Creek, which had never happened before um, because our community didn't have the funds up front for the, the city's administrated grant. So um, that was super awesome. We pulled out some shopping carts from the base exchange. Um, and, oh gosh, see, this is what happens when I... I'm this tired. Um, oh, I just want, I wanted to end with something that I, I found really dear to my heart. Um, I came back to Sacramento about four years ago and uh, my dad had never been up the boulevard and we pulled across the 160 and exit in under the little tunnel and we came out and um, if anybody has ever seen Cars, the movie, if you have children, you can't escape it. And he starts playing with my Spotify and he puts on Shaboom. Um, and he's like, you need some lights because this strip is asleep and just waiting to wake up. So I really love what you said about we have these amazing bones 
It's been forgotten. I'm really excited to hear that we're not just gonna have another plan on the shelf. <laughs> we're gonna have something that we can actually implement and see um, and have better life experiences in our neighborhoods. So um, yeah, thanks. Thank you for your comments. Our last speaker is Adam. Hello, my name is Adam Ship. I am uh, the co-founder of Sacramento Youth Center. I'm also one of the community advisors and um, I'm a long-term proud uh, D2 resident and I'm happy to be here and I'm in huge support for the Forward Together plan. And um, it's funny that you brought up cars because I often tell people as I walk them around the boulevard that the story of the boulevard is the story of the movie Cars. Um, it is a forgotten, cut-off neighborhood um, that has died. And um, the needs are obvious, and the needs um, that you've seen the community say um, have been around for a long time, and they're one of the inspirations uh, for uh, me to even start the Sacramento Youth Center was seeing the needs that we outline in the Forward Together project. And so I am in huge support of it, and I hope, um, I hope that it's adopted. And uh, one thing I'd like to say, too, is uh, with our students, we often talk uh, about how it's important to set SMART goals. And I believe that this plan is a SMART goal for the city and everyone involved. And uh, it gives us a direction. Because if you aim for nothing, you're going to hit it every time. Um, so we want to make sure we have an aim and that we're all aiming at the same thing. That way we can actually get some things done. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Chair, I have no more speaker slips. Thank you, Clerk. Uh, I'm going to take a point of privilege and go in, in, in front of you. <laughs> Is it you who wants to, do you want to talk? And we'll, and we'll let you talk, Bob. Um, this is the second time we've seen an in-debt project, and it's getting better and better every time. Um, I have, I'm really excited about it, and I have worked alongside a lot of you over the years. Um, and I have a couple of comments about the grants, because um, I was on the group, uh, part of the group that created the Creative Economy Grants, which has grown into the Creative Economy Plan. Um, and so I have some observations because you're gonna be working with really small organizations that are not like super technically savvy. Um, so the reimbursable versus like for like front end is a huge hurdle for small entities. Um, Offering technical assistance in, as a way to build the capacity of the community. Uh, the Arts, uh, Office of Arts and Culture hired um, people from the community, trained them, and then let them loose like to build that capacity in that community. And I think that was a really good model that we kind of stumbled upon over several years. Um, and so I'd love to see that because I would love to see everyone be really savvy about like what is available and how to get those resources. Um, and then. Uh, with that, I just I applaud you all for um, taking the risk and putting the time in because, yes, uh, engagement fatigue is real, um, but I'm really hopeful that this will, uh, it's sort of you drop the, the like, um, you drop, <laughs> sometimes it's like sharks, you drop money in the water, <laughs> and a lot of people come out that you wouldn't necessarily have thought of to, to reach out to, so I'm excited to see what you learn from the grant program as well. And now I will pass it off to Commissioner Chase. Thank you, Chair. Um, just a couple of things I wanted to mention. One uh, regarding affordable housing. There's actually a fair number of projects 
both completed, proposed, and and kind of in the works, uh, and kind of in the segment three and four uh, areas. Um, so it is happening, and I think we all agree that that will help energize and put people on the streets and you know activate the area. The other thing I heard uh, somebody mention the ADUs, which uh, very interesting. What what happened in the annexation? There are a lot of ADUs that have been there for quite a while. Uh, I've been helping some neighbors with some of these issues. Uh, when the city, when the annexation took place, again, I mentioned there was not a great deal of support from a lot of the North Sacramento residents for this. Well, apparently when the annexation did happen, a lot of public records just somehow didn't make it across the river. Uh, there are easements, there are things that do not exist within the city of Sacramento right now for properties there. So uh, I've been working with the, the city of uh, 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 Sacramento Building Department is aware of this issue now and is certainly being flexible and, and working with it, but uh, it's going to keep coming up as, as we grow and more things happen uh, in uh, North Sacramento. But yeah, again, I'd just like to repeat the tremendous uh, support that I want to, that I offer and uh, for this pro, uh, plan that you brought forward and I really look forward to it. We will make it happen. So. Thank you, Chair. Uh, so this item was a um, receive and file. So if there's no additional comments, we can uh, a, take a bio break, a 10-minute break, if folks are cool with that. <laughs> um, so it's 7.52 now, and we'll return at uh, 8.02. Do I... Thirty seconds has begun. Chair, staff is ready when you are. Thank you, Clerk. Calling the meeting of the Planning Design Commission meeting back to order at 8.05 p.m. Uh, next, we have item number four, Age-Friendly Community Action Plan. We have a presentation from Andrea. Andrea. <laughs> Good evening, Commissioners and City staff. My name is Andrea Villarroel, and I'm an Associate Planner with the Community Development Department. Uh, I want to thank you all for having me here today to share our age-friendly community action plan. So tonight, I'm going to give a quick overview of what the age-friendly community action plan is, of our planning process and efforts thus far, and what we have heard from the community. Then we will look at the current draft, and we will end with a quick guide on how to provide public comment using our online platform. First, let's start by explaining what the Age-Friendly Community Action Plan is. The action plan is based on AARP's eight domains of livability, which are community features that impact the well-being of older adults and help make communities more livable. These domains serve as the framework that helped us organize and prioritize our work. <laughs> Additionally, the voices of our community members have been essential in determining this plan's priorities 
and their feedback help guide the action plan's goals and actions. Ultimately, our action plan is a short-term plan based on the eight domains of livability that aims to enhance the health and quality of life of older adults in Sacramento. In order to develop this action plan, the team conducted comprehensive research on the conditions facing older adults and best practices of age-friendly communities. The team also convened a stakeholder working group, which included 21 individuals with backgrounds that provided them with expert insight. We also performed community outreach for this plan as part of the 2040 general plan, which involved stakeholder interviews, citywide workshops, pop-up events, listening sessions, and numerous other public participation opportunities. All this work helped develop a community needs assessment, which allowed us to better understand our community priorities. This allowed the team to move forward and working together with the stakeholder working group, develop this plan's goals and actions. Additionally, the team collaborated with staff across city departments to ensure these actions would be implementable within this action plan's three-year timeframe. All this great effort resulted in the public review draft that I'm sharing with you tonight. As I mentioned in the previous slide, the community needs assessment helped us better understand our community priorities and also identify certain areas for consideration that needed more focus than others to ensure that all residents in Sacramento are able to age in place. The community priorities are organized into three tiers with tier one representing the highest priority. These priorities are ranked based on existing supply of resources in Sacramento, the level of satisfaction indicated via community input, and the degree to which they can positively impact age friendliness and livability for older adults. It is worth noting that this plan focuses on short-term actions and the city is actively working on addressing the needs of older adults and additional longer-term actions can be found in the 2021 to 2029 housing element, the upcoming general plan 2040, and the parks plan 2040. Our action plan is made up of three chapters and three appendices. The first chapter introduces the concept of age-friendly communities. It explains our planning process and details the community priorities for this plan. The second chapter is a demographic analysis of the city with a focus on older adults. And the third chapter is the action plan and it is organized into seven sections. Each section starts with a summary of conditions and trends, a goal that represents the desired vision, and a table with implementing actions. Appendix A includes actions that are already in progress or existing programs for older adults. Appendix B includes additional suggestions that were explored through the creation of this plan, but were not implementable within the actions plan's three-year timeframe. And Appendix C is a community needs assessment. The action plan has been designed to be easy to navigate and includes larger font sizes to help with legibility for those that need it. As I mentioned, each section puts forward the goal that represents a vision for what it is to be achieved located at the top of the page, followed by a summary of conditions and trends, and it ends with a table that outlines the implementing actions. The action table details the actions to be taken to reach the goal a target day for completion of each action, 
the city departments responsible for implementation, and a reference to relevant policies or actions from the 2040 general plan in parentheses. Now let's take a look at our timeline. We released the public review draft on December 22nd and the public review period will be open until February 9th. I will go into more detail on how to provide feedback on the next slide. During the public review period, we have presented to different commissions, including the Parks and Community Enrichment Commission, the County's Adult and Aging Commission, the Disabilities Advisory Commission, and tonight is our last presentation before the public review period closes. After we gather all the feedback from these commissions and receive public comment, we will incorporate the feedback into the plan. We are planning on presenting the action plan to City Council after the 2040 general plan is adopted. Once this happens, we will begin the implementation phase. Now let's explore how to provide public comment in our online platform so you can provide feedback on the age-friendly community action plan. You can access the action plan by visiting the URL provided on the slide. Once you land on the site, you will need to scroll down the page to see the action plan document where you can review and make the comments. The platform allows the users to not only leave comments, but also view and respond to others' comments. When you find a section you'd like to comment on, simply click anywhere on the page to open a comment box. Enter your name, email, and comment in the space provided. Then select the comment type from the drop-down menu and agree to the terms and conditions. Once you're ready, submit your comment by clicking the post comment bubble. This process can be repeated throughout the document, so your input can be placed alongside the relevant section of the plan. The public comment period will be open until February 9, 2024. That concludes my presentation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, let's see, do we have any uh, speaker slips for this item, Clerk? Thank you, Chair. We have no speaker slips for this item. All right, let's have a discussion. Uh, this is a review and comment, same as before. So uh, any questions from the commissioners for staff? Vice Chair Young. Yeah, quick question on the um, where you can kind of note your comments and whatnot. Um, is is the document um, is it in PDF form or is it in uh, what what form is is that? Because my question is, is it accessible to seniors that are blind? So my wife works with you know Society for the Blind, so she's you know works with seniors who would love to comment on that. I just wanted to see if that's something that's accessible. Um, the pl online platform does have the document in PDF form. It can be downloaded. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Caden. Thank you. Um, and thank you for all your work on this. Um, this is a fairly small thing, but I just wanted to, to ask. So under um, HA1, which is... Um, essentially consider the recommended actions out of the missing middle housing study, which we worked on a lot uh, in this group. It says target completion year three, and I think the um, council now adopted work plan has that um, wrapping up this year. So 
Um, is there any reason why that particular action in this plan is is later, or is is it just needing to be adjusted because the work plan was just adopted last night? That is correct. So it wasn't ready yet when we got it. Place that. Okay. Here. Thank you. Um, yes. Uh, again, uh, this is great. Um, and I really appreciate uh, all of the work that went into this. One thing that I've noticed with um, in my family, as well as uh, friends of mine, um, familial caregiving is like a thing that's kind of uh, really, you know, people are lending on that more in, uh, than anything else. And um, I, I, I noticed there's some great resources mentioned in here, like the Del Oro Caregiver Resource Center um, and a handful of others. And I'm just curious um, if the, what sort of attention uh, was given to um, those types of things and like was there um, comment uh, from like resource uh, centers or I, I don't know what, like what sort of outreach was, was done on that sort of front? I would have to look into it, but the stakeholders working group had 21 different individuals coming from all different backgrounds. I, I would have to check if one of them was specifically to that, but I can get back to you on that. Okay. Thank you. That's all. Thanks, Commissioner Mort. Um, I just want to thank you. Uh, I. This is the this is the um, putting the meat on the bones of like conversations and concepts like aging in place, right? And as Sacramento, some of the things that I noticed about there, there's some similarities or like connections between this and the previous presentation is that as our population ages, it's also diversifying, and um, so like obviously like cultural competency is really critical to a successful aging experience in Sacramento. Um, and so I appreciate that this, and also that the in that team like sort of are being really intentional about that. Um, one of the questions I had that I asked earlier today, but I'll ask it here too. Um, in terms of sort of how we address climate change or mitigate against climate change, like can you speak to how this um, how this plan sort of addresses what we're gonna need in order for people who are trying to age in place and who are not necessarily driving, um, what are we going to do for the built environment for that? Does that make sense? I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean like bus stops, bus shelters, uh, tree canopy, stuff like that. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that what's important to recognize is that this is not a super regulatory document. Um, it reflects the great work that we're doing in, in very regulatory documents like the general plan, the parks plan, um, transportation, um, priorities plan, all sorts of things. We've got a lot of emphasis um, with our climate and uh, climate action and adaptation plan on how do we make resiliency, how do we address vulnerabilities. And this is really what can we do in the next three years? So ARP asks um, communities to make a commitment to move the needle. And it's a very short-term, three-year turnaround. So what can you get done in three years? So a lot of the climate work is longer term, and it's reflected in those other documents. Thank you. 
Uh, we have another question, uh, Commissioner Thompson. I always push the button twice. I'll make it quick. Um, you actually kind of tapped on it, so this is a quick like interim component. And one of the things, the goals in here seem big, or not not big, uh, just not quantifiable. And if this is an opportunity, and maybe this is non-standard, I'll, I'll own that I'm new here. But um, is this an opportunity to uh, to show off the amount of work that's already been done, and then how this interim process by adding some quantifiers onto some of these goals? So, um, a lot of the statements are like increase. Um, would it be appropriate to add a percentage, or is there a baseline number that we could tie to this so that at the end of the three goals or the three years, this report will have a whole bunch of really understandable components for the effectiveness? Just a, a question. Yeah, so the, the planned action plan, it references the actions and policies in the general plan. So in a way, that would be what's kind of doing those more specificity, right? Uh, No questions, <laughs> Commissioner Buckley. Thank you, Chair. Um, you know, I think I, thank you for the report and thank you for your presentation. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I live in a community that I think would be considered like a good opportunity to age in place. I live pretty close to Broadway, uh, just south of the city, and um, there's a lot of restaurants, and I could walk very easily into the grid from where I live. But um, when I think about aging in place there, I think about um, my comfort level. And I think I see in the report that when respondents um, said, you know, that the part of their, their issue with sort of like a walkable community is to feel safe as they're going through the community. I just wonder um, what kind of consideration this report gives to sort of creating that um, walkable community, that aging in place scenario, which I think has a lot to do with walkability, right? Uh, being able to access places um, and considerations of making sure that older adults feel safe as they do that. And it's fair if the report doesn't give consideration that it's something that I think about and I just wondered if it was addressed here. Um, so in the report, even though those things were noted, that that's what the community is saying, uh, there are certain things that can be addressed by certain things like Vision Zero and what they are doing with, you know, increasing kind of more safe pedestrians and bicycle safety. So um, there were a few um, sections of the plan where it like references that, that that would be um, ways to increase that, but it didn't go further than, than that. Thank you. It's just something I think about, and as you know, I, I think my community is also like a, has a lot of elderly folks in it as well, and um, I'm seeing less and less pedestrian travel in the community from folks, and there's so much opportunity to walk to the Target or walk to all the great um, restaurants on Broadway, and there's just a growing reluctance to do that, and I think some of that comes with like a per perceptions around safety, and I just wonder how we improve that and ensure safety for uh, particularly for older adults. Sunfish. I walked to Sunfish to get my salmon. Um, so thank you. More of a comment. All right. Well, 
Um, there is no action needed on this item, so thank you so much for your presentation and for your great work. And um, with that, you already did public comment, right? So the last item is, um, or sorry, the next item is member comments and ideas, questions, and other items. So anything from folks? Looks like we've got Commissioner Chase. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Chair. Um, I'd just like to take a minute to thank my colleagues in our uh, legal counsel to help me clarify that motion that I was trying to make earlier. So, but thank you all for your support. <laughs> Commissioner, or Vice Chair Young. Just want to wish everyone a happy Lunar New Year and uh, go Niners. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he snuck it in there. I love it. Okay, um, and so the last item is public comments. Matters not on the agenda. Do we have any speaker slips? Thank you, Chair. We have no speaker slips. Awesome. Okay, that concludes today's agenda. This meeting is adjourned. Thank you. We did it. We did it. Oh my.